What's up, guys? Welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Gear. I'm Scott McNally, and I'm joined by, we literally have a whole crew today. Of course, I'm here with Skip Hill. 20 years? Is it 20 years as a coach in the industry, Skip? Something like that. Okay. Yeah, 38, 40, I don't know. We've got Andrew Berry with us, who's kind of like, I think, our new new regular. So we've gotten a lot of really good feedback about having you on the show. Uh, And by popular demand... We are joined by David Johnston. What's up, guys? How's everybody doing today? And uh, this is like a Memorial Day weekend. We record this. It'll be coming out um, mid to later in the week. We've got a bunch of bodybuilding stuff that we're going to cover today. Um, our first topic is going to be uh, basically growing as a hard gainer. You know, we have a guy who's having a difficult time putting on muscle. He has a really labor intensive job and he's looking for ideas and help because he's been doing this a long time and he's not making the gains he wants to. And I thought to myself, that's like a super common thing that I think a lot of people are dealing with, including that something I've dealt with myself. So I thought we could turn that into like our first topic. Uh, we have a second topic going to be more contest focused that Andrew is bringing to us. And then after that, we're going to tackle all your listener questions. I do have one note, and that is check this shirt out. I already showed it off on the last show. This is like the Ride the Lightning uh, logo. You know what I'm talking about, Dave. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. So this is the, the new True Nutrition shirt that I got. So shout out to our great sponsor. Thank you very much, True Nutrition. True Nutrition. And uh, if you guys want to shop with them and support our programming, please use our code THINK. So, yeah, I basically told you guys what the topic was. I figured we could dive right into it. Then we'll kind of catch up, see what's going on, uh, hear where David's been, because it's been a while. Here's the here's what I got, though. It says, uh, and it's kind of a, a lengthy one. Um, he says, I know Scott can relate to this from his Pepsi days. I need help putting on muscle. Been lifting for almost two decades uh, only dabble in oral gear, but I'd like to break the 200 pound mark in weight. He's six feet tall and, uh, he's around 185 to 190 pounds, but he can't seem to get bigger. And he says, um, and my diet has been more garbage. Uh, uh my diet has been more garbage in, uh, than I'd like to read. I'm, I'm, I'm missing something here. Do you want me to read it? Yeah, please do. do. Take over for me. <laughs> please do. Take, o- take over for me. It's more garbage in it than Thank I'd you. like. Yeah, than I'd like to retain the size I currently have. Yeah, yeah there you go. Can you take it. You to Just go on? keep going. I'm an yeah. my owner too far away. of a landscaping business and, bu- and burn. It's, I, is it burn or bum? Burn. Andrew, you're going to have to read it. Hey, hey, I think he wrote bum, but we know he means bird. Okay, because in my defense, you made it smaller because it was larger when I started reading it. Here's Skip, start start reading that for us. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Ready? Come on, bring it down. down. Ready? There we go. Here we go. Bring it down. Ready? Scott, I know you can relate to this from his Pepsi days. I need help on a muscle. I've been lifting for two decades. I only dabble in oral gear, but I'd like to break the 200 pound mark. I'm six foot in my range, 185 to 190. I can't seem to get bigger. My diet has more garbage in it than I'd like. I'd like to retain the size I have. I currently am an owner-operator of landscaping business, and I burn five to nine K calorie a day, according to my Fitbit, which already, that's a big range. I'm making sure my protein stays high, 250 to 350. Try to keep my fats low-ish due to borderline cholesterol issues, 60 to 100 grams in total fat, which is not a lot. 
but I have trouble getting enough cows, especially in the summer when the highs are over 100 degrees. Mm. What should I do? I, you know, I can't quit my job. It's not an option. Should I eat more junk, increase drugs, fats, proteins, carbs, or just wait till retirement? I'd like to. I can't read it all because you got to cut off, but whatever. And then the bottom, by the way, I started lifting when I was 21, and I was 137, so about 50 to 55 pounds, lighter than I am right now at the same body count, 11 to 14%. So I've made a ton of progress, but I've been stuck here for a few years now. All right. Thank you, David. I knew we brought you here for a reason. That's right. What do you guys, who wants to start this out? I, I have some thoughts, but uh, I've already done a lot of talking, so I'm, I'm good here. I want to hear what you guys have to say. I can be real quick. It's just the answer is more drugs. The answer <laughs> is always more drugs. When in doubt, take more gear. No, a couple things stand out. Now I'll ask you guys what you think, too. I, what, what caught my ear or eye, what, caught my, what I noticed was running orals all the time. A lot of times mm. what you get, you lose. So there's there's that component. Uh, huge range of caloric intake. I mean, five to 9,000, that's all over the place, which he admits his diet is, there's a lot of garbage there. That's another huge component. Um, what was it? Oh, the other thing that stood out too was he had men- he mentioned the, the temperature. Mm. Now, the temperature outside of being 100 degrees is not going to play into his metabolism, but it does make it a bitch to eat when it comes to appetite. I think yes. we all... We all know what it's like to. It's harder to get food down. I think when it's when it's like in a, like in the summer months or when it's hotter, that sort of thing. Versus in the cold months, maybe when it's colder. Um, but those things stand out for me. So now I can sit back. This is gonna be cool because we got four people. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Who's up? Who's up? I'll go. I'll, I'll go. go. Um, oh, well, go ahead, David. Okay. So. I totally relate to this in the sense that, you know, when I started bodybuilding, I was a furniture mover. So I did it for a living and it was like 12 to 14 hour days. So my first year I was just building a foundation, mostly stripping body fat. Okay. It was doable. But then after like my first year and a half and bear in mind, I was drug free still, but I had to like do my first bulk over the summer months while trying to work manual labor, 14 hour days. Yeah. And I'm not a hard gainer. <laughs> like, I'm on an endomorph through and through. And I just hit a point where I couldn't do it. I literally, it's what made me decide I was going back into personal training Hmm. for a career, even though I didn't love it at the moment. I was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to give it another chance and find a way to love it because I love bodybuilding and I love being around it. Simple as that. Um, The limiting variable for me was always water intake Hmm. because when it's that hot and your calories have to be that high, and you're that physically active, you're just going to feel like crap trying to get in enough fluid to make it work. You know what I mean? Like I, I was sucking down two and a half gallons of water a day and it wasn't good. And that was with no gear or anything else at play. All right. If you, so when I'm looking at someone's programming, I look for like obvious points of what's the most obvious point of entry. Like what's something obvious that you could add in that would be easy given everything else you're doing and you would get the most progress out of drop the orals. They're already going to kill your appetite to a degree. Yeah. Making it harder to eat. You already have high caloric requirements and it skips out. You're not going to hold on to the gains anyways. What an easy point of entry. Like if you're willing to use gear, why aren't you using real regular injectable testosterone 
you know, keep it simple, keep it basic. Is it a needle phobia? What's, what's going on? But that's a simple point of entry where you can get more progress, change nothing else really, probably have a much easier life at least, and then experiment from there. Like now, the other thing is you have a lot of strictures, like you want to keep your fats low. That makes it really hard, man. If you got to get in that many calories, yeah. uh, lowish fat approach. But why does it have to be that low calorie? Why can't you eat more healthy fats? You know what I mean? If you're trying to keep your cholesterol in a good range, why aren't you bombing yourself with olive oil at every meal? And, you know, the traditional Dante Trudeau kind of approach. Yeah. Um, you should be able to do that to some degree and still keep your markers where you want to keep them and all that better than just boatloading like 1500 grams of carbs a day or whatever nonsense you would have to do to be in the calorie if you really have to be in that calorie range so well, if he's not keeping track of those calories that, that would be right. yeah he gives that range of five to nine thousand so if he's not keeping track it almost sounds like he's pushing as many calories as he can right. possibly push and that's part of the reason they're not very clean so if he's not gaining on that turning right. to even tweaking the diet to the point where it's cleaner or it's more regulated may not do a, a whole lot for him anyway. So right. um, coming back to the, the calorie thing, you got to know how many you're taking in because five, between five and 9,000 is, I mean, that's just two Huge. different levels. That's just not, you know, I don't know how to explain that other than you guys it's get what I'm saying. But difference. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's just not even close. So Get an idea of what you're doing. And if you have to structure what you're doing to get those numbers, then you're going to have to do that. But I have a feeling that he's probably getting so many things like like restaurant food and fast food and just chucking it in based on what he can get his hands on. And that's why it's so hard to keep track of well, those numbers. Skip, he didn't he didn't say he was consuming five to nine thousand. He said he was burning five to nine thousand. Oh, according yeah. to okay. according to his Fitbit. Okay. All oh, right. did he? That, so, I, then I completely misunderstood then. Okay. <laughs> so it sounds more like there's a big range in his output based on what type of day falls his way, given that he runs this, this company. Well, then I come back to what you were saying and what you did. And that is, well, he runs the company. He doesn't have a choice. He's, Ooh, that's like, you got to make, you got to make more money and get more accounts so you can have other people do that shit for you. And you there sit you behind go. Desk yeah. And you cash checks and deposit checks. Take it, Andy. <laughs> Andrew. Andy. I like that. Yeah. I know. I have a, a long time friend. Named I'm Andy, Andy. It's going to happen. I'm sorry. I'm, sorry. I'm not Andy. <laughs> no. um, yeah. I, I'm really going to echo what you guys are saying. The um, first off is he worried about his cholesterol. Why is he doing oral only cycles? Mm, you know, right. as David pointed out, dive right into the real thing. And I think it, it you can make it a little bit more healthy than doing oral only cycles. Cause I assume he's probably blasting the orals pretty good for these mm. short spurts. Well, in my opinion, that's going to be worse than doing a moderate dose of, as David pointed out, testosterone, you know, over longer cycles and et cetera. Um, secondarily, like the other thing I'm thinking about is the law of diminishing returns. You know, as we all know, the longer you do this, your rate of progress is going to slow down considerably. Everyone knows, you know, the first two years you pick up weights, your bench press might go from 125 pounds to 300 pounds. Well, you're never going to see a jump like that again unless, you know, you're, you're a power lifter and you got a new coach and he changes your techniques or whatever, you know. Um, so I just think, you know, maybe the expectations need to be, you know, catered a little bit to where he is in life. And then the last thing is, he sounds like he's a little bit more of like a recreational bodybuilder than a, I'm not going to say a contest bodybuilder, but just someone who's dotting their I's and crossing their T's and taking advantage of every little thing, whether it's 
I keep thinking about, you know, Dante made a post three years, four years ago about being the best 300 milligram testosterone bodybuilder you can be, which meant hone in your supplements as good as you can hone in your diet as good as you can focus on your training and train like a madman and focus on progression on the lifts that you can control. Uh, so I just kind of keep going back to that thing in my mind. And I think it's something that as you continue to age in bodybuilding, you definitely need to start really thinking about getting the most out of, out of, um, all your variables. And it just seems like he's leaving a lot of variables out there hmm. kind of in, in the murk, not really, just not really honing in on them and knowing exactly what he's doing. So he doesn't know what to change even, you know, if he's, if he's not following a set meal plan or a rough meal plan, even, um, I just think it's hard to control your variables, yeah. but, uh, I can, I can, I have the feeling, you know, and I've been in this boat and I've known a lot of people in this boat. If he's, if his business consumes so much of his energy throughout the day that he probably doesn't have the energy time, et cetera, to exactly weigh in prep, you know, how it goes. It's just, you know, he's weighing it to a degree, making it work. So he's trying to get the most push out of the least. Um, so I agree. It's going to be hard to push beyond that. But the other point, dovetailing what you said, like if your numbers are legit and you went from 137 to 185 and put on 50 pounds of lean tissue with minimal gear at the same body composition, guess what? Like, I don't care what you do. You're probably not going to grow without adding in more gear because you've already really maxed out. That's a lot of progress. If those numbers yeah. are legit, 50 pounds of lean tissue. That's a 137 pound frame. Like, I, I can't boast that for too many people over too many years. That's a crazy ectomorph yeah. that got reasonably swole. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And burning that I, amount of calories, I mean, that that's kind of impressive. And if he, I keep coming back to these numbers, probably because I screwed them up and misunderstood to begin with. Um, but if you're ripping through five to 9,000 calories, that's pretty substantial. I mean, there is a point in no return. Now, I don't know if he's there, but there is a point in no return where you're not, you're going to be very lucky to exceed that type of a caloric output to be able to put on added size and, and carry more, more weight. The only other thing I would add is, uh, and I'm, I guess this is an attempt at me being funny, but there's one of two reasons that he's not using normal protocols for gear as far as injections and stuff he's either he does there's probably there could be a phobia of needles or it could honestly be in his defense um you know a wife or girlfriend that isn't mm. very uh isn't on board with that that he's trying to keep it from and i don't know that that's his case but i i only say that because i've had clients over the years who have to hide what they do and this is a completely different topic so i don't want to go off on that tangent but um, if he's having to hide what he's doing it's going to be easier to hide orals than it's going to be to hide needles and things of that nature so yeah and whatever the reason is if you think about it it really doesn't matter if that's what he's comfortable with and comfortable doing that's that's you know his business but coming back to the cholesterol issues and the fact that it's going to wreck your you know your, your lipid profile um that's and, and that's a concern of his it's contradictory you got to change something yeah i think i think dj makes a good point about the fats I think that here's been my, I mean, I think all you guys make good points, but here's my experience. So, you know, he mentioned in the beginning, he was like, he, I know that Scott can relate to this from his Pepsi days. I did not work for Pepsi, but I worked for another, as we call it in the Midwest, I worked for a pop company, which we will not plug on the show. 
because they underpaid me and they were a miserable, terrible, terrible company to work for. They really were. They were the worst out of all three uh, of, the, of the big soda companies. But anyway, I, I did burn so many calories every day. And my job would consist of pulling pallets onto trucks, off of trucks, from the back of a Walmart to the front of a Walmart. Sometimes that the pallet jack would be like rusty. And so you're like dragging that thing. And I'm getting like a hamstring workout. And then I turn around, I'm getting a quad workout. It was brutal, like truly brutal. And then after that, I'd go to the gym and then, you know, squat or whatever I was doing. And I can say like looking back at that, there are a lot of things that I would have probably done differently. Like if I were to look at my training, I think that the training I do now would have probably been really well suited for that. If I could have just gotten in and gotten really intense and gotten everything I needed out of a few sets versus I did like three hour leg days. So like a three hour leg day after a 10 hour day of pulling pallets, it's like just so much volume that it's no wonder that, you know, I had a difficult time continuing to put on mass. Now I did move from middleweight to light heavyweight in uh, about one season. And I did that through like, I just said, you know, fuck it. I'm going to push the food as hard as I can. And I did dramatically increase the fats and I increased my meal frequency. Cause the one thing I could do is I didn't have a boss with me. I was on the road and going to different stores and stuff. I could stop and eat whenever I wanted. So at one point I was eating a meal literally every hour. Sometimes it would be a shake, but it was like maltodextrin. And I just yeah. like, it'd be like 75 grams of carbs, 75 grams of protein. And then an hour later, it would be like 10 ounces of beef and two cups of rice. And then an hour later, maltodextrin and shake. Then an hour later. And then I got to the point where like one of those meals was three McDoubles, two medium fries and, uh, you know, all that shit. Um, and, and I still had abs, by the way. Like I still had abs. For me to get into like contest shape, I'd have to lose like, you know, 17 pounds to like literally including water to get on stage. So the thing that I did not take into account was my gut and I screwed my stomach up so bad. Like I ruined my stomach for like several years from doing that. So I think that for me, if I were to have the opportunity to go back in time, yes, I would probably in my in my situation, I could probably change get another crappy job. You know what I mean? Versus, versus. But you know, this guy obviously owns his his company, but get a different crappy job that wasn't as physically difficult, um, and then really think about the food I was using. Like I think DJ is saying the right thing with like eating healthy. Fats could really be a key for him if he's not eating fats right now. Like that's going to help so much to not only increase those calories, but also slow that metabolism down. You know what I mean? I think if I recall, the first thing I would do is just reduce my fats on that diet that I was talking about. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, there's five pounds right there, you know? So that's my, that's my soapbox on on this one, man. I could keep going on about it. Um, And oh, I also want to mention too, he is one of our Patreon members. So thank you very much for supporting uh, everything we're doing at Think Big. Uh, we have a Patreon, guys, and and we have 20 people that are now helping to uh, support the network. So I appreciate all you guys so much. And if you do have any questions, drop me a message on Patreon. I'll be sure to get your questions in the shows. Uh, you know, you guys are freaking awesome, and you're helping to make this thing happen. We ready to move on? I know I just, like, went off on a, on a tangent. 
I'm not going to talk very much. I'm going to let the three of you talk, and I'm going to sit back and just kind of. <laughs> that is the way my voice sounds too, isn't it? Yeah, I won't have anything to say on that one. I, Andrew, I know you've got a you've got a, a more of a um, more of a contest prep uh, focused question, or really just competitive question for us. Or yeah, topic. it's kind of more of a philosophical question, and me and a couple of friends have kind of had this discussion more than a few times. We, we, we like to talk about these little scenarios, kind of like the one we talked about two weeks ago. But in this one, um, is it okay? And I guess all opinions, you know, all inputs great here. Is it okay for a guy who gets his card, his pro card at a master's show, a 35 plus, should he go ahead and compete in the open? Or should he wait for a master's uh, class to come out in the professional ranks? Hmm. What do you guys think about that? <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a question that's gonna make me sound really fucking stupid, even more stupid than some people uh -oh. think I already am. There are not already pro master shows. There's a few. There okay. No, there's okay because I was thinking if I am wrong, I'm gonna sound real. But I thought there were two, but I knew that there weren't very many the way I understood it. Right. I know. So maybe like a handful. They, they started introducing them. Um, the last year that I was doing Geared Up, which must have been 2016, and I remember because I remember bitching about it because they didn't pay the winners of Masters Pro Shows. There's no there's uh, no money involved, and just how ridiculous that idea was. So yeah, there's definitely there have been since 2016 at least. I I think okay, there's it, like that, that's what I one or two bodybuilding classes, open open bodybuilding. Hmm. There's a few more classic because I remember I was at. I went to two shows last year where there were cla uh, Masters Classic professional classes. Um, Tampa had it, and then um, a show in Punta Gorda. Um, I can't remember the name of the show, but there was an Open Classic and a, and a Masters Classic. And oddly enough, none of the top Classic guys showed up for the Open class. So a Masters guy won the Open. No kidding. And got himself a ticket to the yeah, got himself a ticket to the Olympia. And after the fact, all these guys that were like second, third, fourth, and other good Classic shows were like. I didn't know that was even an open class. They didn't really advertise that, so they kind of they kind of missed the boat on that one a little bit. Um, but anyway, you know, there's there's a couple of good examples I can think of of guys that have gotten pro cards, and, and we've talked about this. You know, uh, John Meadows, uh, Josh Wade, Shelby Starnes, who went on to perform very well in open classes and place, you know, in the top five. Or I'm sorry, some of John was a two twelve guy, Shelby was a two twelve guy, but um, Josh Wade has placed top five in at least five pro shows now. Yeah. So I just want to give a couple examples of guys that did do that. And then, and I know Skip, I think you had a good point or maybe David, uh, when we kind of talked about this pre-show um, about maybe not putting all their eggs in one basket uh, leading up during their competitive careers. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. my take on this is, and I don't want to sound insensitive. Okay. Because, and, and I think I can get away with my opinion because I'm a master's guy too. And even though I haven't been able to get on stage the last couple of years, that is, I would be on stage as a, as a master's competitor. I don't think it's fair. And this is just me and I don't want to piss anybody off with this, but I don't think it's very fair that someone, if you turn pro in a division, you should be, in my opinion, only allowed to compete in that division. It's a limited division. If you turned pro as an open and you were going to compete in another division, then, then that would seem fair. But if you come in as Masters, because I do think that, and this is not to take away anything from anybody who's gotten a card in Masters, but it's just easier. 
I would even go to make my my point um, a little bit better and say, what about the guys who are 60 or 70 years old competing and getting a pro card in masters and they want to go compete in the open? Should they be allowed to? I'm just going to be honest and say, when no one wants to see my old ass in an open pro show, no one wants to see me even older, 10 or 20 years older in a pro show too, because it's taking up time and it's not there. It's, it's out of place. It's not, it doesn't fit. So if in that sense, I don't, I don't see any reason why, I, you know, I even find it kind of odd that somebody who would get a pro card in a master's division would want to compete in the open. Is that, do you get, am I off on that? I, I would say not really. And the examples I gave were guys that had place, you know, third, fourth, fifth at national level shows in the years leading up to sure, getting sure, their master's yeah. cards. So, so they were national level talent. This isn't like some guy just turned 35 yeah. and, Right. Been, you know, so those are exceptions. There are, there are always yeah, going to be exceptions. Yeah, and I yeah. agree with you there, but by and large, the only way that someone would want to, I guess I could see it happen this way. They get their pro card in the master's division, but they want to stand next to someone that they idolized or that they look up to or something like that. Well, you can always stand next to them in the lobby. That won't waste anybody's <laughs> time and you can get an autograph and you can get a picture and that sort of, I don't know. Am I off? Am I being insensitive? I don't know. What do you guys think? Um, what do you think, David? I don't know. I, I think it's self-governing. I don't really care. You know, meaning <laughs> that's a good way to look at it. I, I can't disagree with but that. I, I think shows should have the best competitors there are. So the way I look at it, if someone, first of all, we got to define, are we talking just about open bodybuilding? Or are we talking about all divisions? You know, good example. I had a female women's physique competitor who turned pro in the master's division, but she also didn't start training until she was 50. Hmm. So then once she had a pro card, she wanted to test the ranks in the open. She just happened to go pro in the masters, but she kind of was not bad in the open, you know. So that was just a circumstance of she started late in life. Most people that are going to turn pro in bodybuilding aren't going to start that late in life. They're not going to actually start training as masters people. They're going to start yeah. training as yeah. young people and become masters people, meaning by definition, they're just not the best bodybuilders, kind of by definition, usually. Um, that being said, if they decide to compete in the open chance, they're not going to do well. So who cares? Let them do what they got to do. <laughs> do your thing, get on mm -hmm. stage, get off the stage, fine. You know, thanks for traveling here. And it's the same thing as doing nationals when you're nationally qualified and you know you're not, don't have the goods to do nationals, you know. You're doing it to say, yeah, that's a, but no, that's a good point. That's a good point. No one, gives, well. no one gives a shit with you. Like, as long as you understand, yeah. no one gives a shit with you. Do what you yeah, gotta do. The problem, is, the problem is, is that most of the people that, like you're saying, you're using an example of people that they think they're good enough to do that. Like, they're not good enough to do nationals, but they don't know it. Mm. Like, they see that national qualification. I place top five in a class. I'm nationally qualified yeah. because they've never gone to a national. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Are like, pros like I, I got, disconnected not, not the pros. I know, no, no, that's a good point. But but there's so many amateurs that like, hey coach, so we got second place in this class. I'm nationally qualified, and I'm like, hold on, no, there's a big I difference know, between know. nationally qualified and nationally ready, and we're, we're like two years away from that. So let's not to crush. You know, it's great we had a victory this week or whatever, you know, but let's slow it down a little bit. 
Well, and to be clear, like anyone I've put into a Masters National show, it's a conversation I've had with them beforehand. Namely, just so you know, getting this card is going to end your career as a competitor. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of yeah. where I was going to go like, with this. That, that, that's where like that's where I'm wrap up this up. Like you this. can still compete, but you you're never going to be competitive again. And, right. that, and you're so never going to win your dream. Get your dream, dog. Yeah. I've got a question for you guys. So this is um, this is something I've actually been thinking about recently. So I'm I'm working with a guy this season who is old enough to compete in Masters and Masters Pro. And uh, there is a show, a Masters Pro show. I'm not sure what it is, but it's on uh, uh, October 2nd this year. I'm not sure what that show is offhand, but it's a Masters Pro show. Now, he's planning, we're planning to do shows before that, but could... Could competing in a Masters Pro show, like, tarnish you in any way? Like, if you're trying to vie for an open card, or excuse me, an open win, you know, in a pro show, and you're battling all the young guys, if you start doing Masters shows, would you be relegated then as being like, well, he's a Masters guy, you know? Like, if you took a guy who, say, has been really successful, and then Danny Hester just starts going to the Masters shows, for instance, would that look bad on him where it's like, well, yeah, he's old. He belongs there now, you know? I, I, I just, I wonder. I wonder how that how that looks to people. Yeah, I don't know that I see any, uh, I mean, I, I think I see where you're going with it, but I don't know that that would matter or should matter i i'm not sure one other thing i was thinking about too is even get, my mind's racing when we're talking about different divisions so what about turning pro even as mm. a you know you're a woman and you turn pro as a bikini competitor but then you want to go into figure there's a lot of loopholes so I, I think where i i stand on this the more we talk about it is if if the system is set up a certain way and it allows you to do that Hmm. Dave makes a good point. I mean, you can do what the system allows you and the rules allow you to do. I don't know that it should be allowed. I mean, I, I think it basically I still stick with the fact that I think when you turn pro in a division, you should be allowed to to compete in that division only. But I don't I can't see it tarnishing or well, having any impact. Of course, we live in a very judgmental. I mean, uh, people but, are judgmental well, anyway, so they're going to have their well, say. What about, but what about this? Like, for me, I think there's a lot of excitement as a fan of the sport when an established competitor jumps from one division to another. Like that's yeah, cool. Good. That's really cool. I don't want them Chris to qualify again. I want to see their transformation because I know that someone who's already accomplished, knows their shit, has succeeded, whatever, they move up the ranks, or even if they move down the ranks, you know, I think it's fascinating to see like a Caprice Murray do men's physique and see what happens when he comes off everything. You know, like as a fan, I, I, I kind of like the fluidity of being able to go to the different divisions and test them out. You know, I understand it's a hardcore mentality, like you should have to earn it, you know, but same time, like you get cool effects from people being able to do that. That keeps the sport interesting. And if, if you step away from that hardcore, it's a sport mentality and just watch it as a fan. It's, it's neat to I don't know. You, you have a good counter argument. I can't disagree because, it, <laughs> I, you know, it does. I mean, when you explain it, then it, then it makes sense that it does add a little bit of a different, you know, flair, a little right. bit of excitement. And quite frankly, this, yeah. the sport itself is incredibly fucking boring anyway. So a little right. bit of excitement. I can't I can't knock that either. That's a good point. I think maybe I hold this because the topic yes. started with masters. I hold a, uh, a little bit of a 
a different opinion on masters and 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 this again this isn't to take anything away from me or anybody else but it's it, you know when people say that they're masters pros or they're pros a lot of them a lot of the masters pros are subpar pros they just, to me they are and and i'm i would love to have the opportunity to win a masters pro card that would be awesome i don't see that happening in my future but nonetheless i would be happy to to chase one if that were the case so i'm not trying to take anything from anybody i think what i'm saying is there just should be a i think there should just be a difference they they should be set apart and i think what we're running into in with all these divisions and everything else is and maybe i'm just being old timer you know about this with my with my mentality it's very possible again because you come up with this counter argument and it makes sense and i think god damn okay i can see that too <laughs> yeah. I don't know. At the end of the day, it's still just a beauty contest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's, it's a beauty that's a good pageant, point, right? Yeah, you know. Yep. All right. Well, uh, we do. Like I said, we've got a bunch of listener questions here. We could probably start diving into those. And if anybody watching wants to throw anything in, feel free. Um, I wanted to mention too because we we got a couple questions. People asking how Dusty's doing. And, um, you know, Dusty's the kind of guy that doesn't like putting a lot of public stuff out there on himself. So um, I'd say my thought would be to follow Dante Trudell because he's he has the inside track of everything that's going on. And if he posts something, then then, you know. If he posts something, then it's okay to talk about. Basically, I don't want to say anything That's that, a very like, good way you know what I mean. Yeah. That Dante hasn't yeah. already put out there, but it's yeah. also credible. So if you hear something from Dante, you know that it is true and that it's accurate. There's a lot of information. I think a lot of us have some information, and it is accurate. But we also don't, out of respect for Dusty and his camp, um, we leave it to the people like Dante to put that information out there so that no one is stepping on anybody's toes. Yeah. That what is being put out there um, won't irritate Dusty or Dusty's camp. They, they're informing people and Dante, I think is probably the best person to listen to. That's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. That was shocking. I'll tell you guys, it was like, it was freaking shocking because I had talked to him like literally just the day before that happened, you know, and, uh, on text, but you don't, it just, you don't expect the, especially someone who's like so freaking incredibly strong, like Dusty's like bulletproof. You know what I mean? You don't think of Dusty as like getting taken down by anything. So I think mm -hmm. it's, it's touched a lot of people. I've had so many people that have reached out or messaged me, you know, just asking, like, I can tell like a lot of people are genuinely concerned. And I wanted to say this too. This is something that I, I've noticed for a little while that um, it's been really cool to see the energy that he's brought to our channel because, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm seeing everything. Obviously, we've had a bunch of different shows come and go uh, over the whatever it is, six, seven years that we've been doing this. But, you know, they started up him and Ron started up like, you know, good year over a year ago now. And I started seeing like a transition, a change in the listeners. Like people started getting like more into lifting heavy and people started like falling in love with progressive overload. And I just started seeing this like excitement within, within our listenership. And to me, it's really cool that somebody could share their passion for the sport and have it rub off and influence so many people. You know what I mean? 
Well, I think it's easy too because he's a genuinely good guy. He's got humility. He carries himself well. He's personable. He's approachable. He helps a lot of people out, and I think that that makes him relatable. And a lot of people like the guy. Um, I hate to say it, but there are plenty of assholes in the sport that I don't necessarily think that if something happened to him, nobody would care. But I don't know that it would have the same impact as a personality like Dusty as well. So I think there's a lot, a lot more people than he may even think or know of that are pulling for him and just really want to see him come out of this, uh, not only as 100%, but be able to, you know, and aside from bodybuilding, just put bodybuilding aside, just that he comes out of it and, and, and he's good and he can, you know, he can recover and he can move on. And his situation, you know, I, I don't know what people know and I don't want to give away too much, but the situation that he had was so freaking so odd and, you know, I've dealt with it myself and so have a lot of other people. You get, and especially in, in older body, you get the uh, get food caught in your throat. And I know myself a couple years ago, I had to, I had a situation where it had caused bleeding in my throat. With him, it was a different situation where it actually ruptured his esophagus. And, and I can't imagine, you know, how, how horrible that was because it was horrible in my situation. Mine was a fraction of what his was. So it's such a freak situation um not related to anything having to do with bodybuilding other than eating yeah and you know for something so relatively minor to turn you know bad so quickly it's 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 just i i really hope that everything i hope he continues i hope that everything works out and he gets out of that coma real quick and recovers so yeah yeah no kidding man all right. Well, I'll jump to these questions you guys gave me a minute here to pull this all up. I'm going to go to DJ first. Let's see. Whatever I pull up, it's going to you, brother. I don't even all know right. what it is. Let's go. All right. Um, okay. More of a comment than a question from a oh, coach boy. to coaches. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I think folks was subpar, myself included. Yeah, we've got all these like philosophical topics. That's that's right. This is another like philosophical question. Uh, might be better off not competing while still maintaining the bodybuilding lifestyle. Uh, think about it this way. A dude trains hard, lifts, and keeps his eye on getting bigger and stronger while keeping tabs on eating healthy and staying leanish. If he is enhanced, uh, he doesn't need to do crazy psych. Uh, if he is enhanced, he doesn't need to do crazy cycles, do uh, iffy things to get into contest shape, etc. The end result is way better health, less up and downs, yo-yo, uh, and will likely live longer. That said, some will say nothing risked, nothing gained. Thoughts from the panel. Thoughts from David yeah, Johnson. Yeah, my thought is he tried to type yo yoing and he went yo young. He got her correct. <laughs> yo -yoing. Oh man, that's a big ass question. Uh, I kind of had this conversation with a, a new client that I'm taking on actually earlier today. Basically, when do you compete? When is it worth it? What makes you want to compete? All that stuff. I don't know how many coaches have that conversation with their lifestyle clients or that because mm. I. I never was a higher level prep coach, but I it was more like an entry level transition from every day to I want to compete and slowly get my feet wet, et cetera. So that's tough, man. Um, the thing that I encounter most frequently, and I've heard this time and time again, you know, I'm like this. I know Adam McVeigh is like this. I know so many people are like this. They enjoy the process of getting ready for a show, but they don't enjoy competing, right? They like the personal process, the journey, whatever you want to call it, and seeing what they can endure and all that stuff. 
without competing. When you stay in that kind of realm, I think it's easier to toggle your decision-making around your real life. Once you start getting into the competition realm, it's a different ball game and a different set of rules and different standards. And most people, I don't care how thick skinned you are, most people's decision-making starts being influenced by factors that otherwise wouldn't start being influenced by. Chances are you want to do well. You want to do well, chances are you're going to start doing some stupid or shit at a certain point. If you know that in advance and that bothers you, then don't compete. It's a bad idea. If you want to do it and you think you can use it for, you know, I find that competition is a great thing for helping you change and develop this and all these facets of who you are as a person. And you can use that to really grow spiritually and, you know, health-wise and everything. You really can. But you need to really have perspective on who you are and what you're hoping to get out of it and have some lines drawn in the sand and kind of do all that sorting out, so to speak, before you're in the thick of it. Because mm-hmm. once you're in the thick of it, it's real easy to lose perspective. And that's what I've seen over the years. So if you already have all those concerns and you kind of know that, you know, you don't want to like go hard on it, well, that's your answer. In that case, live that life. Maybe do one show, you know, see how you do. Set some standards in terms of what you're willing to do with gear, with diet, with making sacrifices, time away from family, et cetera. Whatever, you got to set up your own, what you're willing to do box, so to speak. Yeah, couldn't couldn't you still compete? within the what you know like couldn't you still compete and decide like hey i'm not gonna take a bunch of crazy orals at the end you, you know? can but the more you compete i think for most people the harder that becomes yeah, yeah. you know because you want to do better like if you're still doing it so you train harder and you eat cleaner and you record stuff better but that's another arm that's another extension of the sport so you know, most people who compete, I know a lot of people compete naturally for a while and enhanced. I was in that boat. You know, it's kind of a natural progression that's often associated with sport. It doesn't have to be, but I would say very frequently is. Well, so let me ask you guys this. Do you think, so your goal is to, obviously, if, you, if you're not competing, you still would like to grow the most amount of muscle you can, you know. You still want to make the best progress you can. Can you do that? without the catalyst of competition to drive you further would jay cutler ever have gotten question. as big as him yeah. as he did if it wasn't for ronnie pushing him no but jay cutler has also said he didn't enjoy getting as big as he did and didn't like who he was and couldn't wait to not be that man the instant he was done competing so there you go well that's one person but i'm just saying the well, idea because it, it was your example find yeah. a better example Okay. Yeah. Uh, myself, myself okay. then I just didn't want to say, okay. but you know, I, I looked at people in the gym and I was like, you know, I, I think that guy looks like he's developed a, like a good amount of muscle. I'll, I'll shoot. I would like to shoot to have that level of muscle one day walking in the gym. And then six months later, I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. I already beat that. So I had to find a new guy, you know, like someone else, someone, you know, one of my buddies or whatever in the gym. And I'd be like, yeah, I want to try to get to be like, you know, Jeff one day, get that level of size. And then I, you know, kind of reached to that. And then I remember one day this kid walked in and he just looked different. Like he looked different than everyone else. Cause this is not now, this isn't like current day. This is when there weren't a lot of competitors in the gym and his delts were so freaking round and just the shape to the, his muscle 
he was also getting ready for a show. So he was like super lean and everything like to the point where you can have 16 inch arms and your biceps still look huge because you're absolutely peeled, you know? And I was like, that looks different and whatever he's doing, that's what I want to strive to be like. And then I, I found out, Oh, that guy competes. And then I thought to myself, okay, interesting. And I started looking at doing a contest as being a way to become better as a bodybuilder and, and push my level, you know? Sure. Well, I, if, someone yeah, with, if someone came to me with those concerns, I, like everything he says is 100% true. If someone came to me with the concerns that that questioner came with, I'd say, all right, well, then let's do a natural federation so that, you know, you can easily hold to, like, what are you hoping to get out of it is really what it comes down to. There you go. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about who you're competing you're at, against. I mean, I've competed and I love the process. So I, I, can, I agree with some of the points you're saying, Dave, because the process itself is so much so much more enjoyable that I could prep year round and that's where I want to be. That's kind of my green room. That's just me personally. The getting on stage and competing and stuff I could I could do without probably because I'm mediocre and I I am realistic with that and I understand that. I I sometimes wonder and and again I I'm always careful when I say things like this because I don't want to offend anybody, but I I'm just speaking my brain. I don't know. I don't know what the real motivation is for everybody else when they get on stage. Mine is to beat other people. I can say all the cliche bullshit about how I'm competing against with myself and everything else. But now that I'm not on stage as much and I still enjoy the process and I haven't been able to get on stage, I, I don't love the process any more or any less. So whether I could get on stage again or not, I'm going to go through the process as if I am because that is my, that is my, I don't, I don't know if it's a comfort Life. zone, or what, but that, yeah, it, it, it really Ray is. And it's a, yeah. And, and, you know, you made that comment about, about Jay Cutler and I very quickly, I found my brain dismissed, dismissed his comment. I'll tell you why, because nobody who hasn't, hasn't been there where Jay has can relate to wanting to get it done. I don't ever want to stop what I'm doing because I haven't been to that level. And I, I always used to ask myself, how can Dorian or Lee Haney or, or Rich Gaspari or, or Jay, how can they back off now that they're not, because they've been there. It's hmm. that fucking simple. There's nothing else to prove. And when I, if I would have said that to myself 10 years ago, I'd say prove, I'd still have plenty to prove to myself. And especially now that I get older, I want to prove to myself that I can continue to do this, but do I want to prove it just to me? Or do I want to prove it to other people? Hmm. And then I have this extra added component of the fact that I work in the industry. So the walk, the walk, talk, the talk thing plays a part too. So it's hard to remove what part of that plays into what I want to do as well. I still think that it's just the motivation of competing with myself and proving to myself that I can do it. But I really do think that when people get on stage, they're trying to prove it to other people. Hmm. And I know that that's a very large blanket statement. So it doesn't, apply to everyone but if it doesn't apply to every competitor then why do you get on stage and i ask that as kind of a rhetorical question in the sense that you can ask yourself anybody listening ask yourself while you're sitting there lying in bed and i use this this analogy a lot while you're lying in bed staring at the ceiling fan in the dark that's when you are the most honest with yourself you can put out this facade and you can act a certain way and you can think a certain way but when it's just you and the ceiling fan you're going to be pretty honest with yourself so ask yourself why do you compete truly why do you do it what standing on stage what do you get out of it 
And I don't know that that's any more of a challenge for anybody than doing what it takes or the process to get there if you never even do stand on stage. So going back to the original question, I always take issue with people saying, well, you only, they're basically saying, and I'm paraphrasing, you only take those risks if you're going to get on stage. Why? Why would you? Yeah. Inherently, we have those qualities about ourselves that we want to to be challenged, to be the best we can be, whether it was the stage or not. The stage, a state show or a regional show or a qualifier, it somehow justifies being even less healthy and taking more risks. Ah, come on. I mean, none of us buy it. We can't really buy into that. I don't, I don't think. We take it because we're taking risks. We're risk takers anyway. No? 100%. I was just having this conversation with my PT the other day. We were talking about, I was telling her a little bit about things that bodybuilders do, you know, some of the more dangerous or whatever you want to call it things, whether it be site injections or whatever, you know, and she was genuinely like really interested and she's a high level PT that works with high level CrossFit athletes. So she's been around, you know, tough, hard nosed athletes, probably a little bit of drug use, that kind of thing. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think it kind of kind of goes hand in hand with what you're saying. Like, we are absolutely risk takers. We're, we're not risk adverse people. We're willing to take a little bit more to see if you're going to get a little bit more growth, you know, yeah. or push it a little bit harder in the gym, even if it kills right. you to see if you're going to get another inch on your quads or whatever the heck it might be, you know, up your protein 50 grams, or I'm going to drink two gallons of water instead of one and a half. We're, we're definitely those types of people that are willing to push the envelope just a little bit harder to see if, if you know, we can get a little bit more out of it. Absolutely. Which is exactly why I don't have a lot of respect for the people or as much respect for those people who rise through the ranks quickly and take on a pro card or or because I just feel like those dues, it's almost like what is more important or people will come and they'll say, well, I just want to turn pro. I want to. And it's like, oh, shit, you just want the end result. You're not really loving the process and and enjoying the journey you just want to get to the finish line so i have a i have a hard time with that sort of thing and admittedly especially when they're younger and that's my own shit and i i'm big enough to admit you're it just jealous. but if i can put you're just jealous uh, yeah exactly i'm a hater <laughs> remember I'm, I'm drinking haterade but there is that component where and it's not that i resent the fact i don't resent their success that's not the issue i resent their approach the, the mentality and how they're processing it all because they don't care about what I know I care about and so many other people that do what I do, us who sit there and we love the process of it and could take that end result. You know, you made a good, a very, very good point that I made time and time again. That you, you want that pro card so bad and you don't even realize that as soon as you get it, you're done winning. You'll mm -hmm. never, a lot of people, large majority will never win a show again ever. And you're racing to the finish line as fast as you can get there. Wow. Careful what you wish for. Yep. And that's probably why we saw so many good guys over the years get burned out. Like I think mm. of um, Trey Brewer. Remember Trey Brewer? Yeah. He was the next big thing. Uh, Chris Cook, another guy that, you know, got to the finish line faster than anybody. I feel like I feel like he turned pro after like two years of competing. And then did he even do a pro show? Uh, he did one. He did one. Okay. Well, you could yeah. tell the passion just wasn't there anymore, you know? Right. And I think like well, we skipped the point. Or was it ever I, there? I'm not picking on the guy, and I don't want him to get all mad at me, but was it ever there? I don't know. When things come easy like that, you don't know if it was or not. Well, because he goes yeah, into a gym, I, and someone sees him and says, hey, like, you need to get on stage. Like, you could do really good at bodybuilding. So he says, okay, I'll do it. And 
he rises through the ranks, doesn't develop that love and the passion for the sport in the same way a lot of us do. Uh, right. Because I think a lot, I, I think a lot of us can agree that the joy you get out of something is not at the finish line. It's the day to day, the grind of doing it. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I don't right. know about, I don't know about you guys, but I actually start to get depressed a week before the show even happens because I'm like, Oh, next week I don't <laughs> have to do my cardio. I don't have sure. to eat my six meals of this, this, and that. So it starts to set in because I'm addicted to the discipline of it. I love having yeah. everything on a schedule. I get more work done. I'm more productive. Uh, I'm, I just feel like it's a different mindset, especially when you're in a prep or or you're working towards even if your prep is, you know, say 20 weeks away, you're 20 weeks out in the off season, You still have in the back of your mind. I've got the show in 20, 25 weeks. So I need to do this today, that tomorrow to get to that point to be successful. Sure. And I think the joy, the joy in the sport and this lifestyle is all in that. Yeah. It's funny that week well, after the show when you, when you don't have to train and you realize you're almost anxious because you're like, I, I should be doing something like you're not good with being in that kind of condition, sitting around, not, yeah. not fucking doing anything. <laughs> but and, you know, and it's also worth throwing in there too. Like at least for me, all of my props were kind of like roller coaster or rocket ships or always, you know, by the end of it, just hold the fuck on and like, let's get this car across the finish line, you know, oh, somehow, yeah. somewhere, you know what I mean? And yeah. like, all the people that I've, you know, like I put up a post on social media a couple months ago talking about how over the years I worked with a lot of, because um, I did most of my time work as an in-person trainer, online coach or anything like that. And with that, I have a lot of people that like were really not meant to compete and go super far with it. But we kind of built this culture where like they wanted to get into that club too. And so they busted their ass for like two years found where they were comfortable with the supplement issue you get the point we'll put the work in but we're never going to be you know a 56 year old woman who was just getting her started so i put up this post like as a coach you know how do you feel about taking competitors that you know are not gonna be competitive but they're doing it really for that truly personal bucket list like i'm, I'm getting through this you know does that tarnish your rep as a coach or stuff like that it's an interesting topic you know how do you cherry pick how do you pick and choose where do you draw limits with people know this you're not in the ballpark because i think every coach has to figure that out with their people um oh a new client is kind of like a new kind of like a new cop they come in yeah. and they're excited and they can't wait to get in there and you know and experience it all and it and then as a lot of cops do and I'm pro cop, but as years go by, then you turn into like me and you become jaded cop <laughs> who's before you ever meet anybody, you're stereotyping them and you're, you know, you, you're profiling them, I guess is a better way to put it. And then you think everybody's an asshole who's around you when that's not true either. So it's just kind of funny. Newbie competitors are awesome. They're awesome because yeah, they're not yeah. going to scapegoat you. They aren't, they're going to be in the best condition of their life and they just, they love it. They're so happy. It's nice to see their family happy and they just enjoy the process. And then I just have to pull them aside and whisper in their ear and just tell them, yeah, but do this for 10 years and you'll become a jaded asshole and blame everybody <laughs> for the fact that you took second in the best condition you've ever been in too. Just give it time. Just give it one year. <laughs> give it one year. Do really good. Do really good that first year and then try to top it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's a good, but topic. yeah, but yeah, like the the process itself, nothing beats it, man. It's an emotional experience that is, you know. I imagine I was never in the service or anything like that, but you get that that rush that that you know it defines your reality. Hmm. 
I listen to songs that I listen to during certain preps to this day, and it fucking transports me to where I was and how I felt and what I ate that morning and you know what I trained that day and the t-shirt that I wore. It's <laughs> a serious thing for most people. That's why they do it. That's the love of it. It's one gonna be one of the most serious things you ever do. You got any thoughts on this one, Andrew? You were a little little quiet. You had a couple things to say, but I didn't want to move on if you had some stuff. I, I, I think Skip covered literally A to Z on everything. He said some pretty one. good stuff. <laughs> it was all good stuff. No, I, I agree. Um, yeah, I got nothing else to add. I, I agree. Right on, man. All right. Well, we'll uh, let's start with you then on this next one. Let's see what we've got here. Probably, I think we actually have some like actual technical bodybuilding questions. Um, here we go. How about this one? What nutritional strategies would you employ for someone that needs to stay in a weight class but still needs to be as strong as possible? Is this a powerlifting question? He doesn't say. It would have to be related in some way because of the emphasis on strength or performance, yeah. like MMA. Yeah. You obviously want to maintain. I'm trying to stretch well, here. I would assume powerlifting, but maybe a sport. Well, if we're using say MMA or powerlifting as an example, um, I can think of tons of good athletes in both those sports that drop 20, 30 pounds in a week to get on, you know, the platform or to fight, and then the you know the day of the show or the, the show, the day of the event, they're back up to their normal weight. Um, I'm trying to think of an example recently of um, an MMA fighter. He cut like 32 pounds. Oh, uh, I can't think of his name, but he cut like 32 pounds to make a weight class. And then the day of the fight, he was only like four pounds under what his normal weight is. Uh, so obviously that's not very healthy. But uh, but anyway, like to the question, nutritional strategies is just don't get too fat. Don't get too out of shape. Don't get too too much far don't get too far away from the weight class that you need to be in um you know and that's just going to help you anyway with a uh a better insulin sensitivity you're going to get more out of your training um, you're not going to have to suffer quote unquote to get down to your weight class yeah um and, and i find like the strength thing with the exception of being like two to three weeks out from the show my strength is right where it is almost you know, where it is at 15 weeks out. Obviously there's some chem changes that, that help with that. But I always tell clients like strength is a mindset. Like if you go into a prep thinking like, Oh, I'm going to get weaker. Then you absolutely are going to get weaker. If you start changing your training from a progressive overload approach to I'm going to do three sets of 10 to 12, or I'm going to do three sets of 20 and burn it, burn it out and tone the muscle. Yeah. That's absolutely a recipe for failure and getting weaker. But if you keep charting your progress, if you know, you're benching 305 and you're going to still try to attack and get 310 the next week and 315 the week after that. You're going to be, you're going to lose maybe 10 to 12 percent strength, not you know 20, 30 percent strength that these guys would be doing using the other strategies. That's my opinion, at least, and it's the approach I take myself. So, yeah, well, I think that per that percentage is a lot of people are probably happy to hear you say that because I get asked that a lot. If if people are a client starts to lose you know, reps here, there, they lose 20 pounds on their bench. Uh, they can go into, you know, oh my God, I'm losing all the strength. When in reality, they don't know that it, giving up a little bit is okay. And the more you give up is typically, how do I explain this? It's more, it's based more on endurance and fatigue than it is actual loss of any real muscle or strength. It's like, yeah, you can lose contractile force if, if you're not 
you know, your muscles aren't contracting as hard and they're not going to be as strong. But yet if you were to fill out for three or four days and refuel, you would be surprised that, you know, a day or two after doing that, that that strength all is through the roof. And you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't lose it. It's almost like it's just being borrowed briefly in a sense. So you putting those numbers on it is good because if you're down dramatically, then that's different. And I think something that while you were talking, I was thinking, and this relates to, to the strength component that you were talking about with the numbers. If you're going to, you know, focus on, or if you're worried about losing losing strength. A lot of this comes down to recovery too. If you go into a cutting phase, whether it's for a show or whether it's for an event, like a fight, and you're not adapting your recovery, anytime you restrict calories, your recovery is going to be compromised. So you're going to need more recovery time. You can't just come into restricting calories and all of a sudden going crazy with intensity or high intensity techniques or all this added volume or frequency and think that you're going to just get into great shape and you're not going to start going backwards at some point. So you have to be very careful to focus on the recovery and make sure that while you're in a restricted caloric intake or dealing with a restricted caloric intake, that you are able to back back off on your training, but make sure that your recovery is where it's supposed to be, because that's what's going to probably make you go backwards. And I'm, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, what else would make you go backwards quicker? It's the recovery component. You think, Dave, I mean, am I off? No, that's all. I think that's all accurate. You know, again, with the question, what nutritional strategies to employ to stay in a weight class, but still be strong. I think it's more going to be your training than your nutritional strategies, you know, like make sure that you're not training for unnecessary hypertrophy. Make sure that your hypertrophy is targeted so that if you're a power lifter, it makes sense. The muscle you are picking up, you know, train the lift. All that stuff. Same thing any football player would do. They're not trying to get up to, you know, running back isn't trying to be 350 pounds. So I think it'd be easier if we knew more of the variables or more of the exactly what he's training for and what the, because there's even variables coming down to, like you said, what is the time frame between, you know, when, if you're talking about a weight class, you got to weigh in. So yeah. what's the time frame? Is it going to be right before the event? Uh, is there time yeah. before the event? What is it? Is it powerlifting? Right. Is it a fight? What, what exactly is it? And yeah. we don't have that yeah, I think information. We just, need, just need a little more information there, I think, to yeah. accurately give a full answer, I think. I think experimenting, too, is helpful as far as trying to make your weight. Kind of, okay, so I started working with a guy who uh, fights in MMA. And uh, basically, he had a fight basically like pretty much right after we started working together. So I told him, I was like, for this first one, I don't. I don't really want to jump in and like take the reins and tell you, all right, this is what I want you to do. He's obviously had experience. So I said, instead, what I want to do is kind of watch what you're doing. Keep me up to date on everything. Let me see how you're manipulating water. I'll throw some stuff at you as we go. But this first one, let's just kind of see how you do this. And I I think that having a, a good formula, you know, helps just like just like in bodybuilding. You know, you do a show, you see how you peaked. And then from there you adjust. And, and I, I found that a lot of guys I've talked to that are in fighting sports and need to make weight that there's like one guy in their gym that tells them, well, this is how you cut water, you know, and then they all follow that formula. And I think that through, you know, if having a formula is, I think, a good place to start. But then from there, experimenting for yourself, because you could stay really strong right up to the end and then screw your water up so bad that you're really weak, you know, when you're during the, the actual event. So my thought would be 
you know, experiment with that as well as much as you can. You know what I mean? As much as you can, kind of almost if you can do a dry run, you know, kind of put yourself in the position that you're going to be, you know, ahead of time so that you can experiment with it and, and figure out, you know, what you need to do to get down to that weight and how you can stay as strong as possible. Just forgot to throw that word, my two cents in. Um, that's right. And, and, and Halo Tussin. Halo. Yeah, Lots exactly. Of Halo. <laughs> you, you, like, you got like three coach thumbs up on that one. So. <laughs> Four. Four. All right. Um, personal. Wait, okay. I, I want your own personal SHBG stories of when you have run into a problem with it and what are the best remedies um i'm like nearly two months into a cruise and i absolutely hate my and then he puts an eggplant in there huh does does he did he accompany like blood work with this or was there any blood work attached or anything? No. no. Not just the sad face. So, well, whatever kind of blood work correlates with the sad face emoji, <laughs> that's that's where his numbers are at. I'm not sure he knows eggplant means dick. Am I the only one who might <laughs> no, think, I think that he doesn't? He does. Okay. No, he All absolutely right. does. That's, that's what he's going for. <laughs> right. fair. fair enough. I want to see where his estrogen's at. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I want to see where his exactly. estrogens at, uh, hmm. and I want to see. Well, I want to see what his testing estrogens are at. You know, I, I want to see a full pan- panel actually. But um, I guess the first thing I would look at is estrogen and testosterone. Um, see, has he recovered? You know, um, did he take anything post cycle to recover? Uh, th- again, there's not a lot of information. Like if he would have said, "Hey, I did a PCT with this, this, and this, and now I'm two months later, and my testosterone's at, you know, 170, and my estradiol's at." you know, 72, like, can you give me some advice on what I I know him and I believe that he would be, and he does say two months into a cruise. I don't think there was any PCT. I think he's just on a, a lower level right now. But even coming down to a lower level, shouldn't, you know, from a testosterone level standpoint, he should still be fine. The ratio of testosterone to estrogen is obviously going to be an issue, but you know, I don't, I don't see any, am I missing something here? Is there something obvious I should know? I don't tag SHBG directly related to dick issues or sex drive. I, I mean, I do suppose, I guess if it's bound up, but I'm, I immediately would go to estrogen yeah. way too low. Yeah. You're in the shitter high. Yeah. High is easy because then you just cry at everything. Like you watch a you know, field of dreams and you know, you normally cry, but now you're just like hysterical when Kevin Costner is throwing the baseball with his son and you just can't breathe because you're crying so much, then your estrogen is just going to be a little, or if you get done having sex and you're crying really bad in the fetal <laughs> position, I know that has been a bad situation for me in the past as well. That's so a good personal story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My SHPG was fine. <laughs> I would also look, you know, I'd also look at his prolactin levels, his cortisol. Mm-hmm. Like, like I said, I, 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 if he's having issues and it's not the basic stuff that we're talking about, like, you know, something that jumps out at you, like your estradiol's, you know, at three or something like that. I would say, okay, let's look at the next level of, of labs. Let's look at prolactin. Let's look at progesterone. Let's look at your adrenal function. And, you know, because it's all interrelated, let's tie it in and see what the hell, what the hell is going on with the pathways there. Um, but I think you need to start with labs. Yeah. And well, if you put um, judging I, I, or uh, – go ahead. Go ahead, Dave. Run with it. 
I would imagine this goes without saying, but no one said it, so I'm going to say it. Um, where's your blood pressure at, dude? Huh? Yeah, like, good point. That's a good point. That's yeah. the main thing that's going to affect your erectile function. So is it good? Is it not good? It's not good. Do some fucking cardio. You know, that's usually what's <laughs> going to do it. Do some fucking cardio. All right. This is that one you sent me, Skip. Um, can you grow muscle tissue as optimally... Uh, while slowly recomping uh, as you can while throwing tons of food and calories in. I think you sent me that, didn't you? I don't know. I think, I think you did last <laughs> week. I can't remember what I ate before the podcast, so there's that. Uh, I think so, because I get a lot of questions about recomping. I mean, don't you guys, stuff is falling over here. I'm sorry. I was trying to prop my phone up. I told this story nine times, too. Go ahead. What? Wait, what just I, happened? I, I, don't know. I know. I'm right yeah, did, yeah. Are you telling a story, Skip, or are you? <laughs> no, I'm trying. I'm talking about my phone because I can always prop it up and it falls over. No, as far as recomping stuff, I probably did put this one in because I get asked this quite a bit, but I just can't remember. So the point is, is it can you grow? Basically, can you grow any better by just slamming food and not worrying about body fat levels? versus trying to stay leaner or even slightly recomping and getting in, you know, I, you guys, you guys already know my opinions on this, but I put it out here because I, I get asked this quite a bit. I feel like I answer this question sometimes once a week. Yeah. The answer is emphatically. So yes, what, you can. You what's can your answer, muscle tissue. Skip? I don't know what your answer. I don't know what your I answer is. That's oh, what's that's your official They would not know. Okay. So I'll buy, yeah. Andrew and Scott do. I am a I am a big fan and a big believer in the fact that I think the large majority, not everybody, but a pretty good majority of people can grow and progress better while they're either slowly decreasing body fat levels than they can when they're just shoving food in their talk hole hmm. and trying to just eat kind of like in an antiquated the antiquated um, or archaic approach of just eating stuffing your face and just eating as much as possible and and my yeah, argument is always the insulin sensitivity issue now you can't okay. do it or say so you can't do it it's harder to do it if you don't know how to do it that i understand but i don't i don't think the and i think this is why this method has been phased out over time the own in my opinion the only people who truly grow from shoving food as much food as they possibly can in them are the genetic in a sense, the genetic freaks, so people who are genetically predisposed to grow and they don't have as much of an initial issue with insulin sensitivity, resistance, things like that, more of insulin resistance, obviously, than sensitivity. But that's why I think that recomping, the majority of people can recomp and they can actually get slightly leaner and grow better doing that than they can just on focusing on like what they would call just a bulking phase. I'm just going to go into, you know, I'm just going to put on as much size as I could possibly put on. Now, that's my opinion. Y'all don't have to agree. And I know, Dave, you like to disagree. And that's why I like you so much. <laughs> <laughs> no, not necessarily. I mean, I, I just never heard your official opinion, so I just want to hear you put it out there beforehand. But wait, we go. Um, I think it really depends on your natural metabolism and where your body fat's at and how long you've been training and all those things. You know, it's... It, really depends you're going to hit walls and points where it's just going to be really hard to push past it and 
you're going to have to maybe get a little looser than you'd like. And, but you know, over time, yeah, you can't get overly sloppy and all that. It's just going to, you're going to move backwards. So, you know, I think it just depends so much on where you're at, but I have no problem with what Skip is saying overall. Um, you know, for me personally, like I had a hard time doing that just with how I worked and all that stuff. It was just throw everything I could in there and fucking grow, you know, but with me, it was more just, <laughs> I was trying to do too much shit. I wasn't giving my all to bodybuilding is the mm-hmm. bottom line. So I did what I had to do to progress, but it wasn't pretty. Never was pretty. You know? And a lot of people don't have control over whether it be their, you know, work, you know, the guy who, had the question about doing uh, lawn care and everything else, or in your situation with having to move furniture, number one, and I don't want to take anything away from the lawn, the, the landscaping guy, but moving furniture or moving tanning beds, honestly, I can't think of anything more difficult that if I had to do that for a job, I'd sooner want to curl up in the back of my closet with a gun in my mouth. <laughs> it is way hard to work for someone as lazy as I am. And I've done physical labor that type of, that is, but those are kind of, um, well, they aren't, maybe they aren't exceptions. Maybe a lot of people really do have very physical jobs and I'm just fortunate that I don't have to do that. I don't know. Yeah, I think, I'm not I sure think anyone listening has way more energy intensive jobs than the four of us do. Right. Probably. I mean, I sit on my ass from seven in the morning until I go to the gym at 4 PM. And then I just sit on my ass from seven o'clock until 10 p.m. doing more emails. So me too. And, and the sure gym's right there. I'm very at similar. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, um, absolutely. Yeah. So I think everyone's going to have a little bit more of an energy intensive career path than, than us four gentlemen um, do. But uh, just maybe give this person like a strategy or tip. What I would, and, and to go with, you know, doing the slow recomp um, approach, what I like to do with people is, you know, two weeks of like a higher calorie plan and then pull them back for like seven to 10 days on a slightly lower calorie plan. Just, you know, let's say they put on five pounds over that two weeks or four pounds. Maybe, you know, the next week we pull off like one, one and a half, two. So we're limiting the amount of fat accrual um, and keeping their insulin sensitivity high and just kind of keeping up. It's a general path forward. And, and it's not always like a two, one. Some people it's like a three, three week and then like a five day type thing if they're a little bit more genetically elite. But just kind of having a path or a, a plan in that sense to push at times and then pull back a little bit um, strategically. I like that. And I find well, it works pretty well. Wasn't that what uh, I think Lane was huge on that like back in the day, like three, three or four weeks of growing and two weeks of cutting? Actually, I can predate that. Uh, do you remember Bill Phillips? Yeah, uh, yes. So I read his book yeah. when I was like 13 or 12, uh, three or four of his books. And that was actually, I think he called it the yin-yang approach. And his thing was like a one-on-one, like one week high calorie, one week pull it back. I don't think you need to go that drastic. I, maybe some people, but what I do is more of a two-to-one for the majority of people that I work with typically. Right. I like that. Yeah, I think this was a topic... Do you guys remember, um, you guys know Greg Doucette, and of course you know Fuad. Fuad and Greg Doucette were going back and forth on this topic because Greg Doucette was saying, like, no, most people, average genetic people, are better off staying lean. And Fuad and uh, Ian were saying, like, no, you got to, if you want to get big, you got to hammer, hammer, hammer food. I'll tell you what, though, I, I've i seen people that, that have done that. I've, I, In fact, this last year, one of the guys I've worked with for several years was like, I want to grow no matter what. Like he was like, he was pushing it. You know what I mean? He was like, I want to push it. I want to push it. And this is more, you know, I let him do it, but he really wanted to do it. 
and he ended up getting too fat is what it came down to mm-hmm. matt you might well, be look at it right now. look at it from the other end uh if he's a competitor then that's just more fat that he's got to drop to get into yeah. shape and yeah, obviously exactly. we know the longer you the longer you diet the more you're putting your muscle at risk in a sense at times so you know if you are staying and we're not saying staying you know six percent contest right. lean five percent right. you know we're talking like a, a healthy 10 to 12 you still got the abs you got shoulder caps um maybe a lot of guys still have glutes in that in that range um but you're just not getting that you know the dunlap you know where the belly dunlap over the belt Oof. or uh you know <laughs> you're not getting the uh the, the lower back straps and that kind of stuff you know like a like you're still good enough to go to the beach and not feel embarrassed that kind of look you know yeah yeah but, but again, it comes back to the old, you know, Dante Trudell eating yourself up to that next level in size. I guess the question is when you take, not that Fouad is a genetically average, but as far as good pros go, I'll say he's not the most genetically gifted, I think, looking at him and structurally and what he's had to do to achieve the size he has. How many 250 plus pound genetically average people or, right. you know, I mean, more on that neck of the woods, how many people have had to work for it? How many people can get to that level of size without becoming gluttonous pigs at some point in their lives? Hmm. Right. Do you think that well, we should all, should we all at least do it once to see like, you know, does this work for me? <laughs> like, how do you know? Maybe, maybe you are a Fuad until, until you try, you wouldn't know. But well, it's, I don't it's think there's anything bad. Eating. and Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I think we're going to say the same thing. I don't think there's anything bad in experimenting and trying to figure out for yourself if, if it's going to work for you. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is I'm not surprised that someone like Ian and Fout would say to eat your ass off to get big. Anybody who's gotten big is not going to get big without eating their ass off. What I'm saying is big is a relative term and gen- being genetically blessed is a relative term there are people who have said to me that i'm genetically and i'm laughing but yet that's if the more i thought about it later that's disrespectful to for someone who has even shittier genetics than i do because it's a relative thing listen anybody with superior genetics doesn't want to freely admit that they have better genetics than some other people so they're not going to say that it was easy. No, yeah, no one's going to say that. Well, yeah, this came easy to me, but easy and hard and big. Those are all relative terms. Yeah. So if you are forcing food and you experiment and you're not growing and all you're doing is getting fatter, and then when you do lean down, you're right back to the same strength and size you were before. Then I think it seems sensical to think that that probably was not terribly effective. Someone who can gain, if you did that for six months, you should be able to be pushing pretty damn big poundages and when you lean down you should be able to go oh my god that's a before and after right there i mean (laughs) holy shit so that's where the genetic you know these it's important for people to realize too and i don't want to forget this because think about this when scott was talking when when a pro says that they are you know eating all this food and everything else you know i know i've even been surprised i've been around this sport for a fucking long time but then i see what dusty eats in his off season and i'm thinking damn i thought you'd eat more than that he might be yeah. shoveling the food down, but it's relative to him too. It's more than he would normally take. But I know if I was still in my teenage years, I would have taken that as going, oh my God, he's eating like 24 hours a day nonstop and he's not stopping. He's Victor Richards or some shit like that. So yeah. it's not always what you you think when people say, well, I'm I'm eating, you know, I'm forcing all this food and everything. Yeah, you're forcing food. But if we if you actually see it, what it is and how it's comprised of what it makes, it's really, it's not just this eat fest of, getting as much food in your hole as you can possibly get in you. Yeah. 
I like the awkward silences. Because there's four of us, we, we don't know, know who's like gonna say something. So yeah, we're being yeah, I think we have like a red light. Okay. To, to <laughs> dovetail on what Skip said, for most people, it's gonna do more harm than good. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, exactly. And also, I, I don't think any of us are ta- are, are saying that if you're doing a slower approach, it's going to keep you more in- insulin sensitive. You're not going to be crushing a lot of food at some point. Like I- I've got plenty of guys over 6,000 calories that are 10 to 12% body fat because we've incrementally done it following mm. a show. You know exactly. what I mean? So we, we just, we just didn't jump from 3000 calories to 6,000 calories overnight, yeah. put on a bunch of fat in that process. It was a point of their metabolism adapting and adjusting as it does, as you continue to feed it. Yep. Very good point. Very good point. We kind of had a related question come up here from uh, Jeremy. He says, uh, that's my client. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when we were talking a little bit about insulin sensitivity earlier, he dropped this one in. Is there a way, uh, he says without testing to be able to tell if your body is more insulin resistant or sensitive and can you change this over time? Your client, take it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the quick and easy example is if you're adding calories and you just look fatter and flatter over time, then absolutely you're, you've lost some insulin sensitivity or you're more insulin resistant. And we all know that there's some genotypes that where some people are more insulin resistant than others. So you literally have to do exactly what we just said a minute ago. You you have to take a much slower approach. And actually with Jeremy, um, I don't have his file open right now, but I think we looked at it. We we probably built his calories up from like a twenty five hundred, probably up to four, you know, forty five hundred over time, while actually dropping or uh, in, increasing his conditioning uh, to where now he looks like a bodybuilder. When we started, he looked just like an average guy, you know, a little bit of extra body fat. And I think it's been about a year and maybe two months now. Now he looks like a bodybuilder. You nice. know, you see him. I saw he posted a, a, a video of him deadlifting the other day, and he had delt caps in his arms and veins and stuff. Uh, so I think, yeah, we have made it more insulin sensitive with hard, heavy training, which I think we all try to instill in our clients. Like the best way to change your insulin sensitivity is hard and heavy training. It's, it's going to change your insulin sensitivity like that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Focusing on getting good sleep is another way to keep that insulin uh, sensitivity high. And then just not pushing, you know, calories too fast. Like we were talking about in that last question. Yeah. And you took that client off of a show or a very lean situation and built into it. And, and that is important for people to understand because even if you think you have a shitty metabolism, you, if you do it right, you'd be surprised how much and how much you can build a shitty metabolism, but you have to do it the right way. And you got to be insulin sensitive, which comes back, like you said, to the other question and you can stay relatively lean or leaner than a lot of people think and make really good gains. And you touched on something that's important. I don't even know if I would have thought about it because I just assumed that it was understood, but flat is huge because your, your nutrients, you're, you're basically to put it in, in layman's terms or as simple as possible. You're trying to shuttle those nutrients primarily to the muscle. So if they're not stored, that's, pretty much it in a nutshell. If they're not being shuttled to the muscle and they're being stored, then you will not, you're not going to get fatter and stay full. (laughs) You're going to find yourself flatter and, and you'll feel that you might even feel that before you realize that you're getting fatter. Damn, I just don't feel as big and as tight. If you're full and you're lean, that's a real good indication is that you are more insulin 
sen- insulin sensitive. But I've said this time and time again, and you guys tell me if you disagree with this or even in part, but I, you're always a combination of the two. It's like a ratio between being insulin sensitive and being insulin resistant. You're not one or the other. Hmm. It's like saying yeah. you're, you're, you're lean or you're full. You're a combination of both, but you want the ratio to be in the favor of being more sensitive than resistant. Is that a good way to put I, I I guess I'm asking this. Yeah, does so. that seem clear as far as explaining it? Because that's about the best I can come up with. I think so. Absolutely. And, yeah. and I think, you know, there, we talk about, you know, or I've talked about in the past about how, like, I might separate the, the day into, you know, there's a fat loss portion of the day and then there's a loading portion of the days, particularly around training. You know, because we always think about things as being a calorie deficit or a calorie overload. To me, it's like, well, I look at things a little bit more micro in the sense of I could put you in a deficit earlier in the day and we call that our fat loss time. And then I'm going to load you up in the pre, during and post nutrition meals. And that's going to you would be in a deficit tech or a, um, you'd be in a surplus technically. But we're putting we're shutting shuttling those calories to where we want them to go in the muscle as you're talking about. And you're not storing them as fat. Which is similar to skip loading. You're just doing it in a in a much smaller time frame, where I'm doing yeah. it more. My approach may be more based on a weekly type of thing. So I agree with that. We got another one here. This is from Matt. He says, "How long daily do you guys practice posing pre contest?" <laughs> you guys have to be I'll honest too. <laughs> I'll tell you right now because I'm doing it right now. Okay. Because okay. this is the, one of the first years that I'm actually taking posing seriously. Not that I don't take posing seriously, because I've been got a guy in the past where I've spent, you know, an hour every Saturday posing and then maybe one other day during the week. And then I've been a guy who I didn't pose at all until, you know, a week out from the show. And then I still made it through my classes just fine. I still looked decent. You know, my posing was okay. But today, uh, or this prep right now, what I'm doing is I do my cardio. I've got um, 50 minutes of uh, elliptical. And then I take my dogs for a 30-minute walk, so I'm, I'm pretty tired at that point. And then I do three rounds of posing, holding each pose for six to seven seconds. Okay. And, and trying, to, trying to simulate without any breaks. So trying to simulate as if I'm right in front of Steve or one of the other judges, and he's calling the poses. You're holding them for six to seven seconds, transition to the next shot. So I try to simulate a real, uh, real rounds, no breaks in between rounds, as if you know, you're on stage and you're doing three rounds of posing. I'm going to do that four to five days a week right now. Nice. How long do you say that takes total? Uh, seven to eight minutes. Okay, so not not a super long period of time then each day, but frequent. But if you, which I think is better, but frequent. So, so you do, yeah, because you're you're not going to be on stage for an hour and a half. You're going to be mm. on stage for three to six minutes tops. You know, right. um, and that's if the the judge is turning you around. Well, actually, this kind of goes back to the point I was saying I think last time about. If you're that when we're doing the New York pro wrap up, when you're the fourth, fifth or sixth place guy Mm. and they dismiss first, second and third and they move you in the middle. okay, so now you did two or three rounds of posing with those first guys. And now you're going into your second um, or your your fourth, fifth or sixth round of posing, um, you know, with this new crop. So you don't want to be the fourth, third or fourth place guy. You want to get dismissed in the first or second. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And I think, too, it's if you're a veteran competitor. I don't want to say you can get away with it, but you have posed and you're more familiar and comfortable with posing. And so I guess what I'm saying is if you, if you've practiced it because you've competed for 10 or 15 years, you're going to be better at it and need less 
of a refresher course as it gets closer to a show than someone who maybe has only done a handful. But I will tell you this, and I, if anybody is listening, their competitor, or especially if they're a new competitor, I really do think that this is really good advice. You want to make sure that you understand how much time, like remind yourself how much time, how much money, everything that has gone into your prep, that you don't want to fuck up something so simple as posing, your tan, the way your trunks fit, things like that. That, if you put the amount of time that it takes into those little minor little details versus the training and the nutrition and all the things you've put aside for that prep, it pales in comparison. So in my opinion, there is zero excuse when you stand on stage and your posing sucks or your trunks don't fit right. The things you can tan control. is fucked up. Exactly. That are so minor and they can fuck you up. Yeah, they can. I remember having the, my first contest, I practiced like a lot, like a ton. And uh, this will take you guys back. I'd get out the camcorder. And I'd set it up and then I'd get over there, hit my pose, and then I'd walk over, hit rewind, hit play, watch it, and be like, oh, I want to adjust this a little bit this way. And then I'd hit stop, hit rewind, hit record, and do it again. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you should do it. Exactly. Yeah. That's absolutely yeah. how you should do it. Absolutely. Yeah. It was good old days, the good old days of actually recording on tape. I think it's a lot easier now, now that we have our phones. You can just set that up run through everything and then review it. Cause it looks different when you look at it, like on a screen, just like training does, you know, if you do a set and you record it, like we've talked about this before, you know, it's like, you didn't really take that long of a pause in the bottom of that, that pause squat. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I think it's the same thing with posing and especially like back shots, especially if you're at home and you don't have your mirrors all set up. I think that stuff can be really helpful. I, uh, watch yourself row from the side, watch yourself squat from the rear, yeah. things like that, where you don't normally get that angle. As long as I've been training, there are things that I have found when I, all I was doing was taking a video that I was going to post. And I went much like you were talking about, Scott. Oh, damn. I have a little bit of a anterior. You know, I got a little bit of a pelvic tilt there. I didn't think that I had that, yeah. you know, that sort of, there are things that you'll pick up, even though you've been doing it a long time and you got the technology, the technology is right there. Yeah. You're already taking the picture to you know post for you know on instagram anyway you might as well analyze your shit <laughs> i just got one i'm gonna throw this in because if not i will forget it this just came in to me on instagram um says uh hey man love the youtube channel channel uh wondering if you guys could discuss managing acne on a cycle uh he says uh, my first cycle 500 milligrams i never got any acne not even a smidge then once I started using Trend, Anavar, and especially Anadrol and EQ, my acne gets out of control. I believe I manage my estrogen well, so I'm just curious as to why it flares up so badly on certain compounds. Thanks ahead of time. Uh, if you guys decide to speak about this, could you please keep me anonymous? No problem. I won't say his name. Uh, <laughs> thanks again. Awesome podcast. Somebody jump in and take this. I had an opportunity right there to throw someone we don't like under the bus. You could have just put in any name. Yeah. Right Thanks, there. Skip. I appreciate it, Skip. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what do you got, David? You sound. You look like you're ready to talk. Man, that definitely not my strength. You know, I I was lucky. I never got acne from anything. Not as a teenager, pretty much, and not from any gear. So I never really had to experiment. I've had clients that have had Accutane pretty miserable 
I would try to stray from that if you can stray from that and use it as an absolute last resort. Uh, it seems pretty harsh and a lot of people end up having some long-term issues from it, it seems. So not always the best. What is Scott doing? I was sending that guy a video. I was telling him, I was like, hey, we're actually answering your question right now. It'll be on the show next week or later this but, week. Uh, I'll say, but yeah, I mean, from everything that I've seen and read and all that, it's just a lot of personal hygiene and doing your best to manage it and then stabilize your, your hormone levels as best you can to minimize swings and fluctuations. So maybe microdosing, stuff like that to help stay more stable. I don't know. I'll say that you got you got it. I can see you got the answer. No, well, no, like because I don't got it. That's the thing. But <laughs> it's because here, here's where I'm coming from. Okay, we've got tons of clients that have never touched gear and could have acne problems. And doctors and science still don't know exactly what causes one type of acne versus another, and the exact modality that you need to take to clear it up. There's some things that work here and there, but I think if someone has acne, they're going to have some acne on some level. Um, I do some experimental things with clients you know reading you know different medical journals and stuff like there's a compound called ru54418 i think it's called um it's sold by a company called antigen inc it's a topical um it's also used for uh, hair loss um hmm. and i've had some people that have had some success with clearing up their acne if they um they mix it into a solution of, of uh, glycerol or some other substance put it on their body uh, there's other things that we've tried like um there's a there's a lotion called um, Aret, I think it's called. I can't remember the exact chemical name. I can look that up and you can put it in the notes if you want, Scott. But All right, yeah. Um, we had a, ther a therapy that we used with someone close to me where she had really bad acne, and we would put it on every other day. Uh, she'd take a shower, put it on her face, and then um, let it dry, and then put a thin layer of uh, petroleum jelly to seal it in, sleep on it overnight, wash it all off, and and literally just do it every other day for about three to four weeks and it cleared up the acne without drying the skin out too much uh so that's a therapy that someone can try beyond that i think you know making sure you're getting plenty of vitamins and minerals because i do think that it is tied to some mineral deficiencies in a sense um you know if you're if your enzymes are missing cofactors and mm. and uh, other things that drive reactions i think you can end up it can affect the it can affect the sebaceous glands as well as your hormones so well, I, I've had a lot of success with clients over the years because I'm much like Dave. I don't break out. It's I don't want to say I don't. It's very, very uncommon, very rare. And when I do, it's incredibly minor. Large majority of people are going to break out when blood levels are climbing or they're falling. When they're stable, they don't tend to break out as much. There are always exceptions, and there are people who are prone to really bad acne anyway. However, they typically knew that they were prone to it prior, like you were saying, Andrew, to starting gear or using higher doses or anything else. Yes, it can exacerbate it because anytime you increase what's called sebum, the oil produced by the skin from the deeper layers of the skin, that could that can potentially in increase, you know, an acne breakout. But I have had really, really good luck with clients for years and years. This is an old intense muscle thing. And I know it may sound kind of archaic to some people, but B5 taken orally three times a day in minimum doses of a thousand milligrams. Sometimes they have to go higher than that, but a thousand milligram doses three times a day. Typically people will see in just a few weeks, it takes a little, takes a little bit of time, but it helps to lower the production of sebum, which is the oil that comes from. So I'm not saying 
that acne that you don't need to keep your skin clean because that's kind of a no-brainer i appreciated that they pointed out that the guy asking the question just has poor hygiene is just gross <laughs> I, had take, I had to take that shot at him um but in in the def, in defense of the guy who asked the question i'm i would assume that he has already you know used a few topicals and stuff because i mean that's typically what people go to first is the you know the washing stuff the things that you know you see on infomercials on facebook and things like that and i would imagine he's used those things and it hasn't worked so that's not to say that a topical wouldn't work but it kind of backs up my method in the sense that i think that a lot of those issues come from the oil production itself so you would clean the surface but then the oil is then replaced again so you're constantly clean. It's just a cycle that you really can't get rid if get rid of it unless you're trying to get to the source of it. And the the B5 is kind of the amateur version of Accutane. It's far superior when it comes to health because it doesn't have the um, liver toxicity that Accutane does. But a lot of dermatologists, and this has been about 10 years now, 8, 10 years, a lot of dermatologists actually started prescribing B5 before they would prescribe Accutane because they had heard such good things about it. And I have found that, like I said, with a lot of my clients, it has worked well. Has it eliminated it? No. Has it made it better to where they notice that it's better and it's more easily less noticeable, I guess, or easier to manage? It has for a large majority of the clients that have taken it. So if you're, if you're not sure, at least give it a shot because it's cheap. It's a, a B5 is incredibly cheap. It's easy to take. And I would imagine, I haven't, check but true nutrition i would assume sells the powder and anytime you're going to get a powder like taurine or b5 or something like that get it from true nutrition in powder form instead of tablet form because if you go to gnc and you buy tablets or capsules you're going to pay 20 times over i did the math on a bag of taurine one time comparing true nutrition taurine to gnc tablets and it was like 22 times more expensive yeah. it was absolutely insane oh, yeah. markup so yeah. Um, that was not a purposeful plug for true nutrition, but it is a true one and it fit really well right there. That's so very I'm going good. with it. That's good. That's good. Hey, when you guys were talking about vitamins, I, I wanted to mention too, just uh, the skin quality. I, I can't say whether it would help with acne or not, but, uh, when all the pandemic stuff started, I ramped up my, my vitamin D a little bit higher than I normally was taking it. And I started taking vitamin A Victoria, uh, had said, Hey, this is, she came, she, you know, she had done a bunch of research and I know other people have talked about it since, but we started that real early and I started taking 50,000 units out the gate and I've backed it down to 25,000 units now, but I'll tell you what, like after two weeks, I noticed a dramatic improvement in the quality of my skin. Like just the, the look of it, the glow of my skin, the elasticity, all that improved. And I know that, uh, you know, retin-A that's a retinoid that's all related to vitamin a right right like accutane those things are all related to vitamin a and skin cell turnover so i can't say because i have no experience but i wonder how vitamin a would also affect acne or possibly even like i've seen guys uh that had had a breakout and now their skin looks kind of scarred you still have kind of those red spots no new acne mm -hmm. i wonder how something like increasing your vitamin a would do to to help to improve your recovery from that some random bro science i want to throw at you guys there's always the topic of whether you take a win from a client because they have bad acne on their back mm. 
you know, like being involved with the judging panel that had to meet after pre-judging to predetermine that that person was not to win that night. But that's, I guess I've probably been over that a couple other times in the past. So I'll let I, that one slide. I, I, had a, I had a client lose an overall for that reason. Not yeah. an overall. He lost, lost his class and supposedly was dating someone that was on the judging panel, isn't and that? And that's why they docked him. He had bad acne before he touched anything. So it really kind of sucks, but... Mm -hmm. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, he clearly had the conditioning and the look, and yeah. So whatever, it happens. I like the yeah. sound of this yeah. stuff you're talking about, Andrew. This uh, it's an it's a topical anti-androgen, huh? Yeah, I just sent you the links, which I assume you're probably looking at right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, for hair loss as well. Um, okay. There's several research articles on it. I'll send you a few more later. I just wanted to send one or two to you right now. All right, I thank you. I know you, you had said there was uh, someone you were uh, helping with hair loss. You were looking for strategies on that. Is he going to consider doing this as well for hair loss? Or It was, um, oh, uh, it was my brother. Actually. Yeah. Yes. I didn't want to uh, say, I, I didn't want to throw him under the bus, you know? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's cool. Yeah. Um, no, you know, we, uh, yeah, I'm not going to say the whole story, but yeah. So, you know, he just noticed he was experiencing a little hair loss. And I remember you had posted your video and some information about your protocol. Yeah. And since, I, you know, I obviously don't really have any issues here. So I don't pay attention to that kind of stuff as much. Um, and not many clients, I guess, in the past have asked me about hair loss. Um, I guess in my opinion, it's always been like, if you're prone to hair loss, you're probably going to get it. If you add the supplements in, yeah. you know, on some, to some extent, um, no. So yeah, I sent your protocol to him and, uh, he said he was going to start it. I'll, I'll give you an update on how cool. it goes. Yeah. I'd be interested to know if he, uh, if he does. All right. Here's our SHBG yeah. question. We had a question asking about like uh, macros, basically if there's uh, like a good formula for macros, how would, we, how would we look at that? He says, uh, I'd like to know what your, is your opinion, what your opinion is macros. Um, what do you guys think the best ratio is of our macros? 36, Would any 24, of us have? 48. Nice. 36, 24, oh. 36. <laughs> <laughs> oh, macros. Oh, my bad. Do you guys have any, do you, you don't, I mean, most people wouldn't, oh. and I, I shouldn't ask if I'm going to ask the question, I have to ask the question and not lead, but do you guys use macro ratios? No. I know. I, I, don't, I don't think I, most I, people do. I, well, I think what we all do is we look at what a client's doing to start out, right? Like, we don't just automatically have the plan. We look at what a client's doing and we see, look for loopholes and things that we want to change right off the bat. And right. and like anything, it's a it's a try something, see how the body responds, and if it's good, then do more of that. If it's not yeah. good, okay, we need to change something. It's I, I think people go to coaches thinking like. I want to use his plan. And it's like, well, no, I think a good coach is just insightful and they're really good at reading feedback and making the mm -hmm. changes the same way, like a, a head coach of a football team would, you know? Um, but so when I, I started back in the day, I would just write diets out, but now I use a spreadsheet, which actually does put the macros in because clients were always asking me like, how much, you know, what are my macros at the end of the day? So I just made this program that, you know, has these formulas, you know, four calories per gram of protein and carb, then it adds it up for them. So they can see at the end of the day, you know, what their protein, carbs and fats are at and what the percentages are. But do I look at it? Very rarely. You know, I, I right. look at what we're doing and I look at what, what change do I want to make based off what we're seeing, you know? Yeah. Are we all, are we all pretty much just on the same boat with that? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I think so. 
In fact, I'd be a little leery of someone who would be well-known and well-respected that had such rigid parameters around things like that because everybody is different. You know, you may be, now I will say this, there are coaches who tend to run higher carbs than others, lower fat than others. You know, I can remember back in the day where Chris Aceto was, and this is way back in the day, like Laura Creval days when he, is he still married to her, by the way? Someone said the other day they're still married. If they are, okay, I didn't Mm -hmm. think so because they said it, they told me is they're still married. I'm like, I don't think so, but I don't want to be wrong about that. Anyway, back in the late eighties, early nineties, he was, you know, high carb, low fat. That's, I don't know if he still is or not. Uh, Palumbo, he tended to be more, I call it modified keto. Um, So there are approach. I use skip loading a lot of the time, but it's not black and it's not hundred percent across the board. And it's going to be different in some, there's going to be variations of it with every client that are going to be individual to that person. So I think, if you are looking for a coach and you find something that is very rigid like that, I don't know. I'd be leery because then it kind of leans toward the, I hate to use the term, even though I may have been the one who, one of the first to use it, but the cookie cutter type uh, approach, because then you're getting a specific, very locked in method that is going out to everybody. And I would be leery of that. Yeah. I would say that carries over to everything, including supplements, super supplements, mm, you know, yeah. like if someone gives you a gear plan of 20 weeks out, 10 weeks out, six weeks out, like, I don't know about you guys, but I say, you know, I give a template, a sample template of like what compounds to have roughly when I think we're probably going to need them. But I say, don't add those in. Like, I'll tell you when we're going to do it um, because I don't like what like we're saying, not everyone's the same. You know, yeah, if yeah. someone can get by on 200, 200 megs a trend, why would you give them 600? You know, right. Um, you know, so I just think, you know, obviously we always want to get the most out of doing the least. And so whether it's supplements or whether it's nutritionally, like anyone that's dogmatic in one sense or the other, I think you probably need to stay away from them as a coach. That's just my opinion. Yeah. You know, I wanted to go back to something because I just, you saying that, Andrew, reminded me, uh, the guy who was talking about breaking out, he said, when I ran test, I was okay. But then when I added in trend and Winstrel, or I can't remember everything. Trend and EQ, Anavar, Anavar, and I thought it might have even been something else. He said, then then I started breaking out, and I wonder if did he add all those things in at once, or did he add them in one at a time? Because the reason I thought of this is because, like you said, you know, not everything is going to be you know cut and dry. Not everybody's going to have the same super supplement program. It may be that like one of those compounds is not great for him. One of those things are making him break out. And I know that for us, this is maybe more of a a simple thing to think about, but maybe for him or a newer guy, since he hasn't been using gear that long, it might not be, you know, did he, does he know exactly which compound it is that's making him break out? And if so, how about just deleting that one from your program period, you know, good advice. Yeah. And on that same topic though, let me throw one more thing at you. Yeah. Is it also possible Because, look, I'll be the first to admit that a compound could cause someone to have an issue that someone else doesn't. But couldn't it just also be that blood levels are climbing higher as other compounds are added? It's possible. With the polypharmacy, yeah. 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 Your hormone levels are going higher. You're producing more, you know, the skin is more, it's kind of a puberty thing. You know, when you first get into puberty, your hormone levels are starting to climb. You start to break out and then it gets vicious or can for some people two, three years into. Okay. I mean, that. I I guess I'm not saying that that's the only, but it's also, I think 
as possible or as likely as it being a specific compound. Because when you get to specific compounds, I'm not completely convinced that a compound, like all, all these other compounds don't make me break out, but damn, as soon as I put this one in, I start breaking out. I'm not yeah, saying it can't well, happen, you know, but maybe it's not if, very likely. If here's my thought. I don't think. I think it is. Uh, I'll, I'll take like the hard stand. Uh, I mean, fair I think enough, I think really, you know, the number one thing, if somebody was breaking out, I would think that I would go toward hormonal fluctuation. I would totally go toward that. And my thought would be, you know, if you're doing something that you're taking twice a week, try going to every other day. If you're taking something that's every other day, I found personally in my experience with acne that then taking like trend on an everyday basis eliminated breakouts for me, but taking it every other day, maybe I just was metabolizing it quickly. I don't know, mm -hmm. but there was a lot of ups and downs there. Um, on the other hand, how about, how about something that let's take, let's take, let's say somebody was going to be more sensitive due to like getting higher estrogen levels. I think part of the beauty of Deanabol is that your estrogen is going to ride higher with it. You're going to get a lot of conversion. You can gain more, more water with that. And you know, with all that, you're going to be stronger in the gym. I feel like you would almost, you'd almost cut if you took a bunch of Arimidex, for instance, with with D-Ball, I think you'd almost like you'd cut some of the beauty out of what D-Ball does. Like, I think I want my estrogen to be a little bit higher on that. But maybe for one guy, it causes more of a problem. Maybe for another guy, it doesn't. And I'm, I'm stretching here, but I'm trying to argue. You mean for breaking you. out even? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Out? Yeah. Here's what I want to say. If anybody is listening and they want to help contribute, here's what to do. Here's what to do. You Google percentages or something to do with if there are more breakouts or or if men tend to break out through puberty more than women because i'm curious what the connection would be to because i don't is it testosterone estrogen related is it is there more of an issue with estrogen what's the relationship of estrogen and i understand that it's kind of speculation but i would wonder if there's because off the top of my head i would guy boys break out more than girls. In well, they also have a higher, uh, that testosterone is going to aromatize too. You know, women, sure. women around their periods, they're blowing up, you know, are they breaking out? Yeah. That's what I mean. Girls. Their faces, my yeah. girls don't break out very much. Yeah. But, yeah, but, one, but in, in the days leading up to the, the actual menses, you know, your progesterone is your dominant hormone. Estrogen estrogen's still there, but uh, progesterone is your dominant hormone. So then there's that factor to work into when we talk about females. Mm -hmm. So right. I think it just comes down to, to the balance. You know, I think all the points that everyone's making make a lot of sense, whether it's a particular compound or whether it's the total milligram load of androgens or other drugs in the system. I think both are very plausible theories, but it kind of gets back to what I'm saying where even the experts in these fields of dermatology and skin can't give you exact clear protocol for people that don't even introduce compounds that have right. acne issues that work a hundred percent of the time, you know? So mm -hmm. I think it's one of those things that science still has not yielded all the answers to us yet. Yeah. I do think that I'd like to hear fluctuation, somebody who has fluctuation is probably like that. That would be my go-to to go to, to that would be my go-to as well, Skip. But I do think though, that you are going to have people that are going to be more sensitive than certain to certain compounds than others. I really do. You could get away with those two twos because they're different twos. But anyway, I wonder this then going back. I guess this is another good one for the listeners. And the guy who asked the original question, did you break out in puberty? 
did you have break bad breakouts in puberty and now you're breaking out or did you not break out or did you not have much of a problem through puberty but you are now on gear i just wonder if there's any like if if we polled a thousand people if 90 percent of people who break out on gear would have broken out also going through puberty versus i think they're more uh, likely you see what i'm saying yeah it, it, i would what, think what that if they would. Uh, what, what if he's 12 years old and he hasn't gone through puberty yet and he's hitting gear like all the that's kids a today. very good he's he's headed for for great dumb d-o-m my training partner <laughs> my training partner is a little younger than me and he tells me that he watches these uh tiktok videos of 16 and 17 year old kids like giving out advice about compounds sarms oral drugs all sorts of stuff <laughs> oh, and they have the awesome. sad thing is sad thing is is they've got like thirty thousand followers that watch these videos and i know I, sure. I, I don't know i think that's just messed up but yeah Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've heard the 16 year old say, and if you know you're having any issues, send me your lab work. I can look at it for you. <laughs> you're, you're, you're kidding me. I swear to God. You're, oh, my goodness. Wow. <laughs> That's yeah. horrible. Yeah, but remember there's the kid uh, like 10 years, uh, no, like two years ago, the really young kid. He was like 17 or 18. He's, he's passed away, RIP. But remember he was like working with some bodybuilder. What is his name? Was it Z's? No. Oh. No, 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 no. Uh, he was a kid who didn't even have a physique. Like he oh. just a skinny. Kid. I I feel like he's been on the bodybuilding by bodybuilders page. I think he's been on Think oh. Big uh, Media. You know what I'm talking about? I do. I know who you're talking I about. Think, I think he committed suicide or something like that. Oh but he shit! Was like, I know who you're talking about. I know yeah. who you're talking about. He was like about or 17 years old, giving out tons of drug advice, talking about oh, reading blood work and the changes he was making to this bodybuilder's plan. Yeah. And actually, he had a few decent clients, which kind of astounded me that someone would entrust a kid who's probably never been through the rigors himself to give them advice yeah. on this kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And it ben. helped. It worked to his benefit because he was he was relatively intelligent and articulate. And that very, worked very for him. He was from a very well, uh, well-to-do well family. Yeah, things right. like ben, that. He was put together well. Yeah. I can't remember yeah. his name either. Though. He is right. It is Ben something. Nate's right. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Huh. He was like, he was here one minute and then gone the next. Unfortunately. We actually yeah. talked about having him on. Did we really? And not having him. Yeah. I was trying to get him on because I didn't like what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> and and he was well respected. God, I'd forgotten about that. You were talking about it and I didn't even put it together. But yeah, huh. I, I remember that. There were people though in... I don't want to say peers, but people that we know of who, I don't know if they were necessarily listening, but they agreed that he was at least not acting like a typical 16-year-old. I mean, he was, he was. I don't want to say he was ahead of his time because I don't want to give him any credit. What I'm saying is he didn't carry himself like a 16-year-old. He was really working hard to establish himself as, and he was starting to, to do that. No kidding. Yeah. And Yeah. All right. We got one here from a lady listener, female gymnast with a training question. If I lit or excuse me, I lift weights, but I need to build more explosive power in my legs for tumbling. Can you suggest any lift techniques and the best rep range? Oh, I didn't get the end. See what I did. I screen capped it where it says, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we can figure it out. Rep range that would really build my explosive power and my takeoffs. Oh, I read this one. It says, many thanks. Love the show. Skip is witty, handsome. And and then I forgot about it after that. I'm not real sure what else it said. That, <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Who's got this one? Uh, Clean I can be quick and I can say it's not dirt. my gig. 
Yeah, it's out of my wheelhouse. I'm yeah. I'm a hypertrophy get ripped kind of guy, and I can't do the I can't do that. Anybody who works with me who is powerlifting, they have to have a they have to have their programming already established from a powerlifting standpoint because it's just it's not in my wheelhouse. I can then condition them and deal with the nutrition and work alongside of their training protocol. But when it comes to explosive power or any type of gymnast thing, uh, I'm just being honest. It's not I, it's not something I know enough about to. To a say go to go to CrossFit, go to CrossFit, do cleans, do jerks, do jumps. You know, those are those are the, you know, in sets of you know one to three, that kind of stuff. I would I would just say yeah, same thing, but I wouldn't go to CrossFit. I would just learn, learn the Olympic I, lifts and women. <laughs> take your time to learn it properly in a non-group setting, but yeah, it's it's yeah. typically ollie lifting and maybe some plyos and but you know like Skip said, I'm I'm not an athletic coach. You know what I mean? I'm a physique yeah. coach. So you want to find what's specific to that sport. You know what I mean? I was thinking plyos myself, but it would have been my best guess, to be honest, because I yeah. just I don't yeah. really know. It's like jump off a box, then jump back on the box. Mm. Right. And that's not, More I don't less. mean that disrespectful. Or shit. I'm being, it's kind of, I'm saying it kind of self-deprecating. I don't mean to, to sound that the question you, isn't a good question. You, I just can't answer you it. Don't, to give her a good resource, I would say she should check out JoeDeFranco.com. Yeah. Um, yeah, he works with tons of uh, athletes, NFL athletes, um, high school, college athletes that are going to the next level. And he's built his programming. I think it's called like uh, West Side for Skinny Bastards is his program. Hmm. So he incorporates some powerlifting with a lot of Olympic lifting, a lot of um, power work. Um, uh, do you guys remember the football player? Uh he kept on getting kicked out of the league for steroids. He played for the Texans. Brian Cushing. Okay. He took he took him from like a skinny, like 140-pound kid to a 240-pound wrecking ball. And the guy jumps from like the ground up to like an eight-foot box at one point. So he, he you want to talk about explosive training? Uh, Joe DeFranco is the guy to go to. All right. We got one more here. Diabetic question. What are some nutritional protocol strategies for a diabetic to gain tissue? Uh, my brother is 5'10", 185 pounds lean and looking for guidance. He's currently on keto, which keeps his blood markers and insulin stable, but not gaining size or strength. Any advices? Not a lot of well, he's already got insulin. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? He's good to go. Next question. <laughs> That's bad. Not a, there's missing information. You don't know if he's type one. You don't know if he's type two. Uh, I'm gonna assume you don't know if he's, he's overweight. One. Okay, All right. I'm gonna assume he's type one because they say she said or he says that he's five ten, one eighty five lean. So I'm assuming that he's already like he's like he's you know in good shape and that he's a type one diabetic because. Uh, well, yeah, that's what now, I'm Now, in fairness, and, you can be type 2, though, and, and not be overweight. I mean, I know you know that. I, I, don't, but I, it, guess, I'm, but I guess I'm saying that so that the listeners know that, not you. Yeah. I didn't mean to make it sound like I was correcting you. <laughs> I, 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 feel I know, that, right? Um, God, Skip someone, fucking corrected me on the show. just made me look bad on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I feel if someone is asking for their brother, I'm, 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 I'm assuming I'm this person, and I'm asking for my younger brother, maybe, who's... <sighs> You know, just getting into training, maybe 17, 18, 18 years old, is on insulin, obviously being a type 1 diabetic, um, but he's lean. So 
and I, and I think a lot of people, if you're lean, I would treat them the same way as a normal athlete in a sense, the same way we were talking about earlier about very slowly increasing his calories and keeping him as insulin sensitive. So he doesn't have to use a shit ton of insulin, doesn't yeah. get fat, doesn't, you know, um, doesn't put on a lot of unneeded weight. I, I, I still think that the same approach we were talking about before would work here. What do you think, Dave? Do you have experience with type um, one or with type one diabetic? I'm trying to think. I'll say that, that that's from experience, actually, from working with a type one female athlete or a couple of type one female athletes that were in a similar situation, lean, you know, 23, 24, and ended up being bikini champions. So, mm -hmm. and the, what I'm talking about is exactly the strategy that we were talking about earlier, just, you know, slowly adding calories, slowly adding food. Um, you obviously got to pay attention to their blood sugar levels. You know, sure. cardio is going to affect it a lot different than weight training will. Um, but so as yeah, type I mean, ones, I, I, they already have a history and, uh, well, they should, of keeping track, real good track, of their blood sugar levels as well, too. So, you know, I've worked with type ones in the past, too. Um, we all know a very successful, badass physique, Anth Bales. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just as an example, so it can certainly be done. It's uh, there was one back in the day, too, in the 80s, and I can't think of the guy's name, but he was a badass, too. And he was Tim Belknap. Yep. That's Tim who it was. Got it. Awesome. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Very well played. Back then. Yep. Yes. Yep. Um, didn't he was back during the Benny Potter days, too. Benny Potter. You remember that freak big dude? Anyway. I I, I'm with you, Andrew. I don't, I don't think, I think people would be surprised that their nutrition plans aren't radically different based on the fact that they're type one. They just, they know how to handle and monitor their blood sugar and control it. Now, I don't think they're going to be going with massive amount of, you know, amounts of carbs and it's going to be this high carb dominant diet. But at the same time, I don't think that he necessarily, and I, I'm not a doctor and I'm not playing one on the podcast, the internet, via email or anything else. But I also don't think that most people who are diet need keto either. And that's what's throwing me about the type one. Mm. I don't think he would be noting that he was keto if he was type one. So that one's throwing right. me a little bit. But again, we don't have all the information, so we can't know for sure. Um, but I don't think there should be a dramatic change. I think that if they're type one, type ones tend to have a better understanding about what they have to do so that they don't die. That's really the reality of it. Type yeah. two are typically, especially if they haven't had it for a long time, they're very complacent in the sense that they don't give it as much credit or as much attention as it deserves. Hmm. Um, if you did, you know, without bashing anybody, if you did give it the attention it deserves, type two is easily controllable and you don't have to remain type two. You can actually the very large majority of the time, get rid of your diagnosis with diet, exercise, and a lot of times getting leaner. You can still be type two and be lean, but it's not as common. Typically, people who are type two are overweight, and that goes into hyperinsulinemia and things like that, which nobody has the time or the inclination to listen to me rattle on about. <laughs> Any other thoughts, Andrew's guys? Like, Thank you. No, uh, All right. maybe when people send questions, they should just give a little bit more information. You know, because it is. Well, you can always give more. I, 
Exactly. Yeah. And that's a good point. You can always give more information because if we don't need it, I would say this, if they, if you get too long and you're worried about us reading it on the air and it's too in-depth, we can always chop it down prior to the show to leave out any information we don't need. But I got to tell you, it is a lot easier. I think you guys would agree to answer these questions. If there's more information that we may not need to be able to set aside than to not have enough and then and then speculate. So send your questions to Skip, and he's going to go through them before the show and <laughs> exactly. chop them down, apparently. Yeah. No, it's okay. Send him to Scott. He's good. <laughs> he's good. He's got it covered. All right. That's all the questions we have. DJ, where have you been? I just wanted to throw that in there before we left. Where have you been? I know you've been doing podcasts and stuff lately. You can give me 30 seconds to answer that one. Huh? <laughs> You want, you want to go out on that? Now? Are you are you back? That's my big question. Are you are you are you back? Are you bodybuilding now? Are you lifting weights? No, not yet. No, are you I'm, gonna be? Nope. Gonna? Um, probably. Yeah. On the process, right? So I haven't really actively trained, to be honest, since like I started going to a really severe, severe, severe depression, which I think a lot of people know about. But I started having some mental health issues that I had to work through, and I kept trying to train and all that through it for a long time and I just got to a point where it was a train wreck and I couldn't do it. So I kind of stopped training completely, probably like late 2018. And I tried to go back here and there like in the last, in like six, six, eight months after that, just wasn't ready for it. You know what I mean? So I'm at a point now where we're actually, my, my ex-wife wants to relocate again and we're trying to work all that out. And because of that, like, I want to start testing the waters again. No yeah. desire to ever eat again. Okay. No desire to do any of that. No desire. That's the problem too. You know, like this is a whole different conversation for a different night, but I don't really have any goals right now. You know what I mean? Like I did what I wanted to do and I'm really happy with that. And like, that's not where I want to take it now. If that makes sense. So I'm not totally sure on any of that, but um, yeah, I got to a point where like, <laughs> I cross it off my list if that makes sense. But you're you're coaching so, um, again though, right? Well, I am coaching. Well, I always kept coaching a very small amount uh, throughout, but it was like I didn't want to. <laughs> like yeah. I just wanted to be done, so I just took a couple people that came my way, old friends, and helped them out. But even with that, you know, a handful of people for because really starting in 2019, I just shut it down. Shut it down pretty much 2019 till the beginning of this past year. Okay. And this past year, I was like, all right, let me just reach out to a couple of friends. It's mostly just talking to friends and old clients and stuff like that, just to kind of feel better and, you know, see where they were at. Cause I felt like I'd kind of been out of life for a long time. And yeah. With that, it felt good to do it again. So here we are. You know. We, uh, so, yeah, I don't, I don't have a ton of competitors. Like I think I only have three or four people who are actively in prep and people that I worked with previously, you know, mostly lifestyle clients. My daughter's back there on the couch. Sorry. Is that Raven? I see her back hey, there. Raven. I was going to ask who the cutie was. Hey! <laughs> hey! Our dream. You gotta remember She's going to come like, over. <laughs> What's this up? Is the, this, is, this is the influencer generation. So she's fascinated by the fact that, like, I'm on a podcast. You know that your dad had. We're all famous, you know. Yeah, you know your dad had one of, like, the biggest bodybuilding podcasts at, at, at a certain time a few years ago? Yeah, no. Hear about. Yep. He told me all about it. <laughs> he talked about you sometimes. <laughs> Once in a while, he'd tell us like something you did or something. I think you swore. Oh, you like you. She swore one time, like as a little oh, tiny child. Oh, you got a cute cat. Good for you. Nice. 
You had a story, DJ, where she swore. Like, she just, like, ripped off yeah. an F-bomb or something at, like, one or really? something like that. Yeah, I can't remember what it was. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's good stuff. But, yeah, so, you know, I'm up in Providence, Rhode Island. We came up here summer 17, and I just – I kind of came up here to start fixing some of the stuff I had going on, and it just went from bad to worse, you know what I mean? Like, it was not a fix. Yeah. So that, you know, took some time completely off and did a whole lot of transformation and uh, learning and in different realms, you know, mostly psych stuff and brain stuff and neurotransmitter stuff that I feel has helped beef up my ability to do lifestyle coaching and stuff like that with a lot of people. Right so it's one thing. It's interesting, you know, like I've been out. I never, even when I was doing it, like I never really paid much of, you know like i didn't listen to podcasts i didn't pay attention to what other people were doing because i was just so busy doing what i was doing and um lately i've got a little more time to like all right let me listen to some stuff and see what's out there it seems like there's some really interesting stuff going on right now like people that have kind of seen the competition thing when it's pushed real hard and have different perspective on it and i don't know yeah. there's some interesting conversation going on these days so i'm excited to hear that getting tossed around yeah. yeah there's a lot more podcasts than there were when you uh when you did shows um yeah i'm sure <laughs> yeah. well we appreciate you hanging out even though this was like just a big gang group round table type thing and uh you know we appreciate you coming on and sharing your ideas and your thoughts man hey man i had a blast and i really uh beyond appreciate that you would even consider having me on so yeah oh we're happy to and andrew so listen i feel like we we had talked a little bit uh off air skip and uh andrew said he would be willing to kind of like do this on a regular basis do you think oh man oh, oh i mean <laughs> <laughs> we've gotten a lot of really good feedback i have an andrew on the show yes i have i have as well yeah, yeah. i agree yeah. plus he's smarter than both of us put together right and right, he's more exactly. he's more handsome than both of us we need that <laughs> we need the the looks you know yeah, I've gotten well, a lot well, of feedback the about the dynamic and the fact that it's a good, you know, it seems to be a good fit and, and, you know, and stuff like that. And the things that he brings to the table, I think it's pretty positive. So I take back all those bad things I said about him. Yeah, I'm just here to one up you from 12 or 15 years ago when I, <laughs> when I tried to become a moderator. I had already done one bodybuilding show. I might have even taken a shot of test at that point. And you're like, kid. Shut the fuck up and just watch. <laughs> like be, be seen but not heard. <laughs> but uh, no. But anyway, thank you for the opportunity, guys. It's it's a, it's a lot of fun. All right, cool. Andrew. What yeah, what years were you on IM from? Out of curiosity. Oh gosh, I think I got on in '99 through 2011 or 10 or something like that. I was okay. I was on there like every and i still pop on like from time to time but i was like an i would go to muscle mayhem for like 45 minutes and then i'd go to intense muscle for 45 minutes then i'd go to get big for five minutes because i couldn't take the <laughs> harassment and then yeah, exactly. you know like i i did my rounds because like i think for me back then that was like what social media is if i had five free minutes i yeah. got to a computer and yeah. i logged on to see okay what were the new topics you know like and it wasn't just like drug stuff which every young guy is interested in it was like okay nutritional strategies uh, i mean i still remember um i don't remember where matt porter did his uh one of his pre-con oh the uh professional muscle uh forum when he yeah. did his big post about contest dieting i mean i probably read that 
30 times at this point in my life, you know, and I read every one of Dante's posts and every one of Skip's posts like 45 times, you know, like writing down notes of like, okay, do this, you know, but so I, I gained, I would say having a nutritional university knowledge pales in comparison to the stuff you learned on the forums back in those days. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think I've often thought that like Skip should do something where he should like give out like wristbands for what year you joined IM. That kind of like (laughs) that gives you that gives you your stripes in the in the coaching world. You know what I mean? (laughs) That's a good show. Were you in the nineties, early two thousands? So (laughs) if you guys think you miss it, imagine how I feel. I yeah, would love, yeah. I still try to make sense. I don't want to be long winded about it because I know we got to go, but I do try to make sense of it because there's so many people who miss it. They miss oh, the man. community and the, yeah. and, but yet it, I've tried to bring and I tried to bring it back during COVID COVID hit at the same time, but it's just the, it's not the method of communication that well, people the culture want. Has, the culture has shifted, you know, and there's yeah. no putting that yeah. genie back in the bottle. So it was just I don't think like, it's there yet though. I think people still want something else. They don't like where it is now, but they don't want I, to go back either. I agree, but it's just kind of like the 90s were that era when you had this peak in bodybuilding where you had like the perfect amount of people doing it with the perfect amount of elitism and the perfect amount right. of not overly drugged. And, you know, and it's just like getting that combo again. Yeah. Everyone yeah. mourns, what is it? Is it the insulin? No, you just had the perfect storm, you know. Yeah, and it yeah. was great. All acid. Yeah. And I am during exactly. that decade or whatever. It was that because there was enough information getting out there that and people hungry for it. And there was enough bullshit sites, bodybuilding.com, yeah. where you're like, ah, there's more <laughs> to life than this. I gotta find where it is. Yeah. You know, right. and then it's totally upon I am and it's like, all right, I'm home. I'm hanging out here. You know, yeah. and it just it was this perfect it'd be hard to replicate, you know, because it's a yeah. different era. Yeah. But I mean, I was a college kid on a Friday night spending two hours, you know, at nine, 10 o'clock at night versus going to a party because I was like, no, I got to I got to get caught up with what's going on, <laughs> on you know, intense muscle because I was that interested in it. You know, it yeah. was, yeah, I miss can it. You imagine, can you imagine if you had the foresight back in the day that anyone who was like a reader there would someday have to pay forward like 5% of their, their coaching profits? Well, I'll tell you what, it was so long ago that honestly, even the fact that Meadows was able to monetize a website, that would have never happened at that time because people didn't want to give up banking information. They used to pay me via Western Union. (laughs) <laughs> that was the that was the preferred method of payment and i can't tell you how many years went by with paypal that people said they were not comfortable using paypal no kidding putting their bank remember they we would do shots that wouldn't show our faces because we were worried that the dea was going to break down our door because we yeah, looked yeah. like we took gear i i mean just to go back and it, so that's when i heard that meadows was doing so well with the monetized site and i'm like no, nah, you can't be doing that well. God damn, was I wrong? Holy shit! Times <laughs> change, things shift, and it's like, oh. When I shit, when I joined, man. there were uh, there were three thousand paying members when I uh, started working for them back in twenty thirteen. No kidding. So man. you know, it's a it's a nice chunk of change at ten dollars a month. You know, sure. when you got other people writing the articles for you and doing, you know, yeah. he, he was oh, real yeah. smart about that. Absolutely. Skip, how many people did you, like back in the day, how many people, clients did you have that you knew their real names? 
versus like I still am bad for that. I yeah. know people's. I want to call Scott Stevenson homonunculus. I I have him in my phone <laughs> as homo, and then I laugh and in parentheses it says <laughs> nunculus. Those are just you know it's Kid Rock, it's Sweat Machine. I refer to these guys, and I you know I've known them for for a very long time, and and I still do that a lot with clients too. It, it's crazy, but that's what I did for so long that it's hard to kind of break away from that. Yeah, I I think that's now coming back though because. I think you're going to say what I was going to say. What were you going to say? Go, yeah. I was going to say now it's their Instagram yep, uh, handle. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. They do. Exactly. I, I was ter- telling Derek Oslin that. I was like, I don't even want to call you Derek. I just want to call you Weapon X because that's just such a cool name. <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Good shit. All right. Good well, shit. I appreciate you guys hanging out here. And, and I appreciate you like navigating the four people thing with a little bit of leg. I think that if we – I it, it would be cool – if we can bring on a fourth person sometimes, you know what I mean? And rotate it and maybe get on, you know, even like maybe, you know, you mentioned John, maybe bring on John or someone else, you know, and just kind of bring people on, bring David back, see how things are going and, you know, keep kind of keep doing a rotation at times. But I think, you know, maybe we'll get our chops down first and and do some practicing, you know, get into our groove. I think we're already in a decent groove though. So, yeah. All right. Anyways, guys, for another episode of Blood, Sweat, and Gear with Skip Hill, Andrew Barry, David Johnson, I'm Scott McNally. We're brought to you by truenutrition.com. If you shop with them, please use our code. It helps to support our show. Plus, they're a great freaking company, and you'll get a discount. Our code is THINK. We'll see you guys.